Al, if you're keeping track, I am at page 10 of my 23 pages. <laughs> I just flipped over to page 2. All right. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days and not-so-good-old days of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by one of tonight's participants in our mid-show world podcasting title match, Alec Pridgett. I feel honored to be part of the crew that is challenging tonight. (laughs) All right. How's it going tonight, Al? Good. How's it going with you? It's going okay. Going okay. Doing all right over here. Tonight, we're covering Wrestle War 1990, Wild Thing. Wrestle War 90 was held on February 25th, 1990, at the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, in front of 7,894 fans. Al, do you remember uh, Starcades 83 through 86, how many people they had in the Greensboro Coliseum for those? Um, I don't have time in my head, no. It was around 16,000. Oh, wow. So, just about double. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's two or three parts in the show where you can see big empty areas in the, in the arena. Yeah, yeah. So, clearly not doing that well from a uh, live attendance perspective. But we do have brighter numbers on pay-per-view, where the show earned around 210,000 buys. That's better than Starcade's 89 or 1990. Oh, that's not bad. <laughs> Wild thing. Let's go to the ring. (laughs) The song they do not sing. No, sadly. But they have an awesome song of their own. They do. Hey, homeboy, gather around. Some serious stuff is gonna go down. Call the Wrestle War Daddy, the kings of the ring. All come together and do the wild thing. Lex Luger, the stylish, nature boy, sting. Yeah, they all be doing that. Yeah, they all be there with something to prove. Brimming with intentions to bust the move. Yeah, that was not the intro I was expecting when we first watched No, 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 not at all. I think you and I were both expecting them to do the other song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Sudden generic rap song. We are definitely in the 90s. Yes. I love that point in films, too, where, like, even movies that had nothing to do with rap would get a rap, like, outro song, like, right. uh, I, I Family Values has that, I believe, Waxwork 2 does, and it's just like, all of a sudden, rap now. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, it's like, this has nothing to do with anything. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, the opening video package of music is wonderfully terrible, and it isn't much more than a few pictures of wrestlers and a nice bit with the title scrolling along with a bunch of small video clips. They are trying, anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Host Jim Ross welcomes us to the show alongside co-host Terry Funk. Funk is wearing a tuxedo with an NWA corsage and a single long gold earring. Weird look, Terry. (laughs) It's also worth noting that when we last left Terry Funk at the end of the 1989 show, he was coming out of retirement, quote-unquote, even though he hadn't actually retired at this point. Yes. And, you know, challenging Ric Flair 
And now here we are a year later, he's, I guess, back retired again. Well, hasn't he had at least one of one or two of his uh, 79 retirements by the early 80s? I'm pretty sure his first retirement is the year I was born. So yeah, oh, okay. 83. So he technically has retired. He's just yes. come out of retirement before last year's show. Yeah, his retirement they were referring to in the previous show is in wrestling and WWF. Right. Which means you don't exist. Yes. <laughs> Funk says he wants to be known as Wild Thing and calls JR Jimbo Diddley. <laughs> Terry Funk may be slightly more insane this year than on last year's show, so hide the tables, JR. Yes. <laughs> JR tells us that Teddy Long has said that Dan Spivey is injured and can't participate in the Skyscraper's upcoming street fight against the Road Warriors. Funk asks JR who he thinks will win the United States Tag Team Titles match, and JR says he'll go with the champs. And Funk agrees. On the World Tag Title match, Funk says the Steiners have dedicated the match to Sting. Funk says that the World Heavyweight title, with Lex Luger versus Ric Flair, will be an event. That is a factual statement, I suppose. Technically, the whole show is an event, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah. JR throws to Gordon Soley with Teddy Long. Thank you very much, Jim. Yes, Dancing Teddy Long is with me right now. Okay, hey, Gordon, let's get it straight, okay? This is Chicago Street Fight. It's not Dancing Teddy Long. It's Sugar Ray Long. So, Paul Ellering, get ready. <laughs> well, all right. So, you're ready and Paul Ellering's ready, but what about this uh, situation with Spivey? Well, let me tell you something. Dangerous Dan Spivey has been injured. He won't be able to wrestle here tonight. Now, he has been injured. You know I wouldn't lie to you, Gordon. I've never told a lie in my life. But I've hired another wrestler to come in tonight to take Dangerous Dan Spivey's place. Now, he'll just be in for the night. I feel very confident with him. I know that he'll be just like Dangerous Dan Spivey was right there. But I've got another big surprise, and I'm not going to tell you about that until later on, but it's a big, big, big one, Gordon. Well, are you absolutely positive Spivey's not here and you're just doing this to throw everything off course? Hey, let me tell you something, Gordon. Like I said, I never lie, and I don't have any reason to lie. Dangerous Dan Spivey's injured. He won't be here, and that's a fact. Thank you so very much. And now to Gary Capetta, In the Ring, if you please. Al, what do you think about changing the show name to In the Ring, if you please? That's um, very formal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We need a little bit more um, classical music for our intro, I think. Well, so with TV shows, when they they get big they sell versions to other countries so this show hit to big we can sell us like as a uk wrestling yeah podcast. there you go it's the uk version of the show that's yes. that's right i can get uh Sekiel from uh the story i'm one on to host it there you go <laughs> plans are in motion yes yeah i thought this was an okay promo uh long is a fun character but even if he is a heel it was a little bit confusing why solely thought that he was lying about spivey's injury i guess he thinks maybe spivey's gonna sneak in after all it's kind of tricky because they mentioned it by not being there like six times already yeah. on the show, even though it's not the main event of the show, which is kind of weird to me. Yeah. I don't know if they're like really make, driving this home for some reason. But so Gordon Sully gives a good reason why he might lie about it. And then Tay Long responds saying, well, I have no reason to lie. Like, well, except for the one <laughs> yeah. I, I just gave you. Yeah. I just laid out a very good reason you want to lie. But it seems like that should be like an entire, entirely verifiable thing, right? I mean, I mean he, he, did, he did not blend into a crowd. No. Spivey. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like this is the first episode where we've had wrestlers injured. No. That couldn't participate in the event. So you'd think that, you know, the front office would probably know, oh, Spivey's been injured. But Soli still is expressing loads of doubt. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, this begins the secondary theme of the show, which is wrestlers are just not here for some reason or matches can happen because of some reason or another. Yeah. 
there is some alternate reality where the show goes down exactly as planned. I don't know how that would turn out, but we'll cuss that more later if you go through. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think they did do enough here to at least build up the possibility of some other nefarious act on the part of Long, so it served its purpose still. Yeah. Short but sweet. Yeah, it's just a little weird to bring up a commentary and then do an interview also bring it up again to me. Yes, yeah. Our first match is Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and Kevin Sullivan versus the Dynamic Dudes, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. What a difference a year makes. <laughs> so as of last year, the Dynamic Dude made their big pay-per-view debut, famously wearing to the ring with skateboards in hand. Yes. And not underfoot. Yes. Because they cannot ride skateboards. <laughs> so they have famously fallen on hard times leading up to this. The climax of which is at the previous Clash of Champions show, in which they're running a story where the dudes are taking on Jim Cornette as a manager. So now there's a question of, can you trust Jim Cornette? Because he's also still managing the Manette Express at this point. So it all comes to a head at that show where the match between the two teams, Jim Cornette sitting at ringside, not supporting anybody, saying he's going to be impartial. And of course, it's Jim Cornette, so you know what's going to happen. He turns on the Dynamic Dudes, hitting them during the match and cost of the match. This is, of course, designed to mega push Jim Cornette's heel, but this gets basically the biggest crowd pop of the night. <laughs> so people are 100% on board with him turning on his, his former team. Yeah, the Dynamic Dudes were unfortunately not super popular. No. Though I, I do have to say, at, at certain points during the match tonight, they actually do get a fair amount of cheers from the crowd. No, yeah. I think they can work a match fine. It's just they get this automatic response booing. Right. And there's some people that are just not going to like them or what they do. If you watch the Clash, I posted the picture. There's a guy who literally flips Johnny Ace off right, right to his face. <laughs> and he, he's looking right at it. There's oh, no way oh he missed gosh. that. <laughs> he's, it gets in the middle of his big comeback, and he's got to be super pissed about that. Yeah. Probably now he's still pissed about that guy. Yeah. Sees that guy in his sleep. So the other side of this match is another weird thing, as we discussed a couple times. There's a lull for the Four Horsemen, where they're not around in any major capacity, and they've in fact been rebranded as the Yamashita Corporation. At this point in the company, the Four Horsemen are back, but all the same people that were in the Yamashita Corporation, for the most part, are still a group, and they're now feuding with the Four Horsemen. So it's a little weird. Yeah. So at the previous clash, there's a match with the full group, which is the Dragon Master, who's not as interesting as he sounds, unfortunately. Yeah, I remember he, we saw him briefly on Starrcade 89. Correct. He's one of the guys that comes out, and Buzz Sawyer's the other one that comes yes. out. Yeah, it was Buzz Sawyer and also the Great Muda. They have a big match the next on the clash before that. Unfortunately, shortly before that match to the clash, Great Muda decides, you know, I'm done with WCW for a while, and just leaves. <laughs> This was clearly going to be Buzz Sawyer and the Great Muda, as far as I can guess. Oh, okay. Against Dynamic Dudes. It's not a last-minute chain, but it's definitely a clearly where that match is going. Because you wouldn't have Great Muda like, at ringside and have Dragon Master wrestle. You clearly have Muda in this match if he was around. Right. So last year, we got a match where Muda's opponent didn't show up. And this year, we have a match where Muda himself doesn't show up. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see what happens next year. <laughs> now, why is it... Kevin Sullivan and not Dragon Master? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. Dragon Master was never a huge part of the company. I think he's always there to fill out the big matches, like six-man matches, or just be a ringside. Yeah. I'm not sure with the Kevin Sullivan thing. He's he's around as a heel at this point. Um, he's an off-and-on feuding with Norman Lunatic, which is the whole other thing to unpack. <laughs> yes. 
But yeah, I think it's just maybe he's a better choice than Dragon Master for a two-on-two match. Sullivan is good. No, yeah. I think Sullivan and Sora, as we in the match, make a good duo. My only complaint maybe is that they're too similar. Mm-hmm. So there's no really distinction between the two of them for the most part. Sullivan did try to differentiate himself with the uh, long green strand coming off his hair. Yes. <laughs> That's very odd. <laughs> I guess he went, to the, he went to the same stylist as uh, Terry Funk. Yeah. <laughs> There's someone back there selling hair string. I mean, it made, it made a good living for a while there. The stage design tonight looks okay, but the WCW logo is a tad weird. The Ws are done pretty normally, but the C is constructed as a full circle with just the C portion done in gold. It's just kind of one of those things that you can't unnotice once you've noticed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> The dudes have abandoned their skateboards, not that it changes their entrance at all. No. JR says that they got a tremendous ovation. I mean, they got a few cheers, but tremendous? No. Ace does get the crowd clapping with him as the match starts up, though. We get a good line from JR as Funk points out that Sawyer and Sullivan's centers of gravity are very low. So is their character, JR says. <laughs> a JR burn there, yeah. Yes. Sawyer acts physically hurt by the crowd's clapping. That was great. <laughs> Sawyer and Ace start, and Ace uses his speed and agility to take the advantage. They mistime a flip spot, so Sawyer obviously throws himself down. Then Ace dropkicks Sawyer through the ropes to the floor and dives out onto him. The dudes get a pretty loud cheer as they fight off Sullivan and Sawyer. Tags to Douglas and Sullivan. Sullivan tries to whip Douglas into the turnbuckle, but Ace blocks it. Douglas out-wrestles Sullivan and tags Ace, who briefly gets trapped in the heel corner, but fights free. Sullivan and Sawyer argue, and Sawyer slaps Sullivan hard enough to rock him. Funk says Sawyer got the worst of that one. He clearly didn't. I guess he got the two mixed up. <laughs> I, I, I guess, guess so. Yes. Sawyer back in, and he beats Ace up, but charges, after making a sound like a cross between a creaky doorway and a dying whale. <laughs> yeah. Only for Ace to dodge, so he hits the post's shoulder first. JR points out that the ring posts bear the logo of their sponsors tonight, Ruse. Mm-hmm. Shoes for your feet, pockets for your stuff, as I recall. Sounds right, yeah. Ruse is still around, actually. Really? Their website even still mentions Rick Steiner. Nice. <laughs> and the U.S. Olympic track team, but who cares about them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Douglas and Sullivan back in. Sullivan throws Douglas through the ropes and fights Ace, so Sawyer suplexes Douglas onto the mat and looks very pleased with himself. <laughs> yeah. Ace accidentally distracts the ref, so the heels lay in more abuse. Sullivan throws Douglas back in, and Sawyer gets two counts off nice belly-to-belly and side-salto suplexes. Funk points out how Sawyer really drives his opponent to the mat on those. I thought they looked great. He has really good suplexes. I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. Sawyer and Sullivan trade off beating Douglas up. Douglas gets a brief comeback with a sunset flip that mostly missed, for two. Sawyer gives us a bear hug lying on the mat. Is there a more boring move in wrestling? I guess falling asleep, maybe? (laughs) That's what I nearly did at that point. (laughs) It gets him a two count. Later, a cheap shot to Ace lets Sullivan hurl Douglas over the top rope. Sawyer lays in the kicks, then generously offers to help Douglas back in. (laughs) Sullivan does a much more active bear hug and even carries Douglas over to the heel corner to stop a tag. But Douglas escapes another Sawyer bear hug and dies through his legs to tag Ace, who hits a slam and some drop kicks. One was pretty shoddy. Yes. On both heels. He tries a head scissors, but just falls off as JR blames perspiration. It looked like a timing problem to me. 
Yeah, it was really weird to me, for sure. Sawyer hits a snap suplex, goes up top, and hits a beautiful flying splash called the Jam Sandwich. <laughs> Terrific arc and good hang time. Unfortunately, he lands awkwardly and pitches forward, but he gets the three count and the win anyway. Sawyer is clearly cradling his hand as he and Sullivan leave the ring. Patrick goes to lift his hand but backs off and just thrusts his own into the air to declare the win. And the replay clearly shows Sawyer's hand hit the mat hard and bent uncomfortably as he landed the splash. Yeah, it like jams it down. It's really, really rough. really painful. Yeah. Thoughts on this one? I thought it was a decent old school meets new school match. It's clearly the vibe they're going for. Mm-hmm. Sullivan and Sawyer are the old-school, burly bruiser guys, toss you around, hit you hard. The dudes, definitely in concept, are the fast, high-flying, energetic team. I don't know if they really deliver on that part, though, as mm-hmm. a whole. I'm not saying that they're bad, it's just... I mean, I've seen other versions of this match. Um, like, we you know, obviously, it's really hard to top, but we have the Andersons versus the Rock'n'Roll Express from back in the day, which is... yeah. The more obvious version of that, and that's such a good match. Maybe it's not fair to compare this, but... That's peak version of this, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, you picture certain other teams throughout the years that do the fast-paced offense, a little bit of acrobatics and everything, and the dudes are decent, but just do not hold up to other teams in that category. And honestly, uh, we get a better version of that, I think, on the same show later on. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's just more comparison to the deal with. Like you said, I did think Sawyer had good suplexes, and his character work was nice. Yeah. He really sells the crazy, um, just unhinged character. He seems to be pretty much on character-wise the entire match, which is cool. Yes. Yeah, there's some wrestlers that are just always on. They tend to know where the camera is. They're muttering. You never hear them, like, call spots. Yep. I think he's not the best at that, but he was really good at that. It's absolutely clear what his character was. If you had never yes. seen him before, like I don't think we really had for the most part. Yeah, the only time we've ever seen him was coming out in Starcade 89 for like 15 seconds. Yeah, the run out of that match. Yeah, exactly. So this is our first match with him. So we got exactly what his character is from one show. Which exactly. Is a good yes. example, yeah. The dude just lacked the flash mm-hmm. to liven up the sections. Yep. And obviously that splash is... Uh, uh, hurts, hurts this, I, when I rewatched that, it hurt, hurt my hand just... Just watching. Oh my gosh, yeah. It, and the sad thing is, it looks so good up until that point. Yes. He gets a tremendous hang time on it. it. And for being such a big guy, you don't expect him to do that at all. And then he does a tremendous job with it, but he just, something goes wrong on the landing. And I, I think he just like brings his hand down too quickly, or it just happens to hit a little bit wrong. Yeah. And it looks so, so painful. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of um, Eddie Guerrero when his first match in WWF when he does the frog splash and jams his elbow doing mm. and I'm sure like with Sir he's probably done it a hundred times before then no yep. problem which is his one time yeah yep all it takes is one thing being a little bit different and those are high risk maneuvers they're called that for a reason that's true yeah <laughs> I thought this match was a bit sloppy at points but it was a pretty good opener Douglas and Ace did get the crowd behind them pretty well though their offense is mostly underwhelming and a bit botchy yeah Sullivan and Sawyer added the very fun heel character work, and Sawyer in particular, I agree, was very fun to watch in this one. A good erratic sort of character, just off-kilter enough to work. Mm -hmm. He had some terrific suplexes, too, and a great top rope splash, except for that landing, as we mentioned. Yes. I really wouldn't mind seeing more of him in the future. Um, When he came out for the Starcade 89 match, 
I obviously didn't see much of what he was doing, but looking at him there, I was like, oh, he's just generic henchman guy. Right. But he feels like a very developed performer here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, aside from the Matt Bear hug, I didn't mind this match. I don't think I'm going to remember it much, except for the replay of poor Buzz Sawyer's hand hitting the mat wrong. Mm-hmm. Ow. <laughs> yeah. This would officially be the last tag team match for the Dynamic Dudes, who would break up officially after this show. Mm. Now, Johnny's would appear on the next show, Capital Combat, which we'll definitely discuss at a later point. Unfortunately, his match, along with the first two other matches on the show, for whatever reason, were cut for time when they released the show on VHS. <laughs> uh, they needed time for Robocop. Yes. <laughs> Douglas is so hard to track because he's in and out of companies like every six weeks at certain points in his career. I know he's back by with 92 yes. when he's teamed with Teamboat. I don't know if he hangs around after this or not. But either way, this is the sort of sad send-off of Dynamic Dudes going out in less than great style. At least they did get some cheers for the things that they tried. They definitely got a better reaction than they did in that class show, Fighting the Midnight Express. Yeah. But that's, that's, it could be worse. If that was our last match, that would be the worst way to go. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, this is also Buzz Sawyer's last match in WCW. And as far as I can tell, it might have been his last match ever. Oh, man. Because unfortunately, his injury was pretty severe, and he died in 1992. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a shame anytime someone passes on, but... Right. Yeah, it's one of those, like, oh, we just saw this guy. He actually was, was quite good. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, and we actually just saw probably his last match ever. Yeah, it's, it's hard to confirm if you had any matches in time between this and 92. He would work in territory, not a major promotion, so there's less records. Yeah, I hope we get to see him again. I, I enjoyed his performance. I'd like to see more of what he could do. He was mm-hmm. very interesting. Absolutely. Missy Hyatt is with Norman, who is not Norman Smiley, but instead a large bearded man in hospital garb with a propeller beanie, upside-down sting headband, big pink teddy bear with right-side-up sting headband, and, I don't know, maybe a squirrel or woodchuck kind of stuffed animal hanging from around his neck. (laughs) I'm not sure even he knew what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, guys, and I'm here with Norman the Lunatic. And, Norman, you have a match coming up with Cactus Jack Manson, and I wish you luck. Oh, thank you very much, Missy. You you know something, Missy? You look a a lot like my sister. Oh, well, thank you. She... She's a lot bigger than you, though. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's pretty. Well, she's kind of pretty. You know, if she was here, I bet she'd give me a nice hug for good luck. You, you want to give me a hug? Okay. Oh. <laughs> I hope that brings you some luck, Norman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I bet, I bet if you give me a kiss, I'd have all kinds of luck. Okay. Oh. <laughs> You know what? One more, I'd have real good luck if you give me one more of those kisses over here. Uh, well, I think the bell's ringing, and let's go to the ring right now. I think I was just saved by the bell. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I think it was actually Missy Hyatt who gave us our first ever Let's Go to the Ring on one of the Starcades, too. I believe so, yeah. This was a fairly unnecessary segment. Yes. Norman says nothing of any real consequence and also does nothing to build up to the match. No. I think Norman's requests are supposed to come off as lovable, but uh, they they don't. I'll leave it there. Yes, that's uh, a little creepy. Our second match is Cactus Jack Manson versus Norman the Lunatic. Referee for this match is Mike Atkins. 
So at this point, Kevin Sullivan is no longer part of the Varsity Club, because that's broken up and come in all sorts of weird nonsense, which we'll definitely cover in later shows. So he's found a kindred spirit in Cactus Jack Manson. Yes. <laughs> I feel weird adding that, because I know it's Cactus Jack, but I have to stop and add another word at the time. <laughs> yes. Felt the same way, yeah. The basic gist of this is that they're both mean, angry, bad guys, and they hate Norman because he's quote-unquote childlike and cute, and I guess is the idea, and adorable. The same year that Norman the Lunatic, originally Norman the Maniac, I think, when he's a heel, shows up, the classic 80s film The Dream Team came out, in which residents of a uh, mental ward, essentially, best way to put it, I suppose, wander around the city and have, a, you know, have their day of adventure. I don't know for sure that suddenly having this Norman the Lunatic character is based on that, but it sure feels like it. <laughs> It could be a massive coincidence, but it's like two months after the movie, suddenly he appears. So, I don't know. He's certainly not a welcome face. <laughs> Although he is the only one on the show actually promoting ruse. He's, he's wearing one. That is true. That is true. Yeah, JR says that he's wearing one rue and one wrestling boot for speed. He doesn't want to be too fast. <laughs> yeah, you know, no one run towards the ropes and, you know, fly over them, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely his problem is being too fast, for sure. <laughs> This is very early Cactus Jack, so he's Cactus Jack Manson, and has a very different look. Kind of a faded pastel vest with a tie-dye headband. Norman comes out with his sting headband on right side up, and hands out his stuffed animals and some autographed pictures to the crowd. Funk says he has the head of a buffalo and the body of Roseanne. <laughs> I'm not sure who that's an insult to. <laughs> I don't know. Norman gets in and Jack attacks right away. Several strikes and a whip into an elbow earn him a two-count, but Norman's kickout throws him through the ropes. Back in, and Norman clubs Jack and no-sells Jack's punches to his head. Norman uses headbutts and strikes into a bear hug. A few whips to the corners. One seems to knock something off one of the turnbuckles. And Jack goes over the turnbuckle and out of the ring. I noticed the turnbuckles were really, really loud tonight. They were. I'm not sure if something was off in their construction or what. Yeah, there's a later match, I forget which one, where they someone got thrown into the corner and they Funk references that they might break the ring or something. Yes, yeah. It sounds like they might. It does. Outside, Jack tries to take advantage with an eye rake, but Norman counters a charge to send him over the barricade onto the cement floor. Jack drags himself back, but Norman headbutts him down and tries to ram him into the ring post, but Jack sends him into it shoulder first instead. Norman's noises of pain, I noted, sound exactly like the noises Hulk Hogan makes when he's punching. <laughs> so he does that, ya-cha, ya-cha. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is similar to Cactus Jack's as well, actually. That's true, yeah. We got a lot of that at the Starcade show, yeah. Yeah, weird. Jack lands a nice apron dropkick and several more hits, including a nasty hard knee strike. JR mentions that Norman's favorite movie is The Wizard of Oz, and Funk confuses movie and move and calls it The Wizard of the Oz. <laughs> okay. That's actually not the referencing, obviously, but many years later, one of the Miz's finishing moves is called The Wizard of Oz. Yes. It was not, however, The Wizard of the Oz. Correct. <laughs> Back in, Jack uses knee strikes, biting, and a chin lock to control, but his headbutts rock him instead. A whip to the ropes and boot to the lower gut get Jack a two-count. Funk says Norman's missing teeth should show kids that they shouldn't eat so much candy, as Jack works a reverse chin lock and camel clutch. 
Norman struggles a bit, but finally gets Jack lifted for an electric chair drop, and tries what I will generously call a splash. Yes. His feet barely leave the ground. (laughs) No, that's true. Jack dodges it and gets Norman against the ropes for choking, then bounces off the ropes to leap on his back. Again, but Norman dodges, and Jack eats ropes. Norman hits a headbutt, punches, and high back body drop. Jack rakes Norman's eyes and tries a pile driver, but as Funk openly mocks Jack's attempt, <laughs> Norman back body drops him and just sits on him for the three count in the win. <laughs> Norman celebrates as we get a replay of Norman dropping on Jack's face. <laughs> Thoughts on this one? Jack does his best here. Mm-hmm. This is the match that Cactus Jack tries to make you think that Norman the Lunatic is a really dynamic wrestler. Mm-hmm. He is 100% on board with the idea that I gotta make this guy look good. And boy, he is working alone on that one. <laughs> Jack does he does a character work really strong here. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he does not his most painful bumping, he said that for lighter and a lot, but um, he does some pretty unpleasant bumps throughout this match. Yes. To sort of add intrigue. If, I feel like if it wasn't for a mandate on blood, he probably would have done that too. Mm-hmm. Bumped out the ring post and been bleeding to make people care about the match more. I'm not saying Norman's terrible, it's just he doesn't do much. So it's not like he necessarily botches moves. He just has nothing to show from him. He's kind of standing there and Jack is bumping around him, basically. Yes. Yeah. It reminded me of favorite spot the Big Show used to do where he would get him down and for the next couple of minutes the heel would run off the ropes and drop kick him while he's on when he like ten he's gonna get up and he would do it like three or four times. The poor heel is running back and forth jumping, he's just <laughs> sitting there like, oh boy, it's so hard. <laughs> Reminds me about that. Norman Fisher looks unpleasant to take. A little bit, a little bit. Because it's not like other one, it's not like Finley's where he jumps and falls on their chest. Maybe it's supposed to be, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's also not like Finley's in that Norman looks like he would actually hurt if he landed on you. Well, Finley does jump at least. <laughs> I don't know, there's other versions of the set-out one. Nick Rikishi used to do it a lot. His looked effective and also didn't look uh, really unpleasant for the, <laughs> the guy he's fighting. Yeah. So there's a middle point in between those two, maybe. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely the Cactus Jack match. Norman is also there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, short match here. Jack's selling is definitely the best thing here. It makes the match much more interesting than it would otherwise be. Yes. He's just really lively with it, moving a lot and going wobbly rather than just leaving it as a quick reaction. It definitely does help build up Norman's power. Mm -hmm. Norman, like you said, is fine, but doesn't really do much beyond some basic strikes and headbutts. He did have a nice back body drop. Mm -hmm. Sure. The ending feels pretty sudden and not in a good way. Jack tries a move he just blatantly shouldn't be trying on a guy Norman's size and loses as a result. It doesn't feel believable to me that he goes for the pile driver all of a sudden. Yeah. Especially when he'd only eye rake the guy not gotten him really reeling. It could be a case of their match only has X amount of time and the ref talks to him and says, hey, you gotta go to the finish. And he's like, okay, fine. Do this now. Just feels like there should be more to getting him to that point. But yeah. yeah. I can see that. I agree. Yeah, not much of interest to this one, but other than the ending, it was it was okay. Yeah. So the odd duo, that being Hatch Jack and Norman Lutic, would have involved in a six-man match at Capital Combat, in which Norman Lutic would teamed up with the Road Warriors, because that makes sense. <laughs> and Cactus Jack would be teamed up with Kevin Sullivan and Bam Bigelow, presumably taking Sawyer's place um, in that match. Oh, okay. 
And this match would also be cut for the VHS release. <laughs> so, if you didn't see Capital Combat Live, which a lot of people didn't, I get the impression, and you only saw it on VHS, which would be the, the way to watch at that point, mm-hmm. you would have to wait to 2014 when the full version of the show was uploaded to the WWE Network to actually see those matches. <laughs> the first, like, third of the show. Oh, go. Take that for what you will. Yep. We go back to Gordon Soley, who is with Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. The Express wear very shiny black and red coats, and Stan Lane has some excellent early 90s sunglasses. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, and right now I'm with Jim Cornette, the Midnight Express, and of course the last time you met the Rock and Roll Express, you came out victorious. However, tonight things may change. Oh, lots of things change in life. People change, places change, things change. The Berlin Wall came tumbling down. Preachers and politicians fall off their pedestal. New ones rise up to take their place. And a lot of things change in professional wrestling, especially over the last couple of years. But some things never change. The Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, still the greatest tag team matchup in the history of professional wrestling. Some things never change. We still hate the Rock and Roll Express's filthy, stinking guts. And some things never change. Today, today, right here at WrestleWar, we're going to do everything we can to beat them, to hurt them, and to put them out of wrestling. Because the Midnight have faced the Rock and Roll more times than they've done Hello Dolly on Broadway, but we never get enough of beating those punks up. Some things never change. We're still the greatest tag team combination in the history of professional wrestling. Always have been and always will be, regardless of who says different. Stan, what day is this? The day the music died. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> Let's go back it. to the ring, please. <laughs> A very polite version of our title there from Soli, again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Terrific promo from Cornette, as always. He does repeat himself a tad towards the end of it, but the guy's also talking so fast, he probably just traveled back in time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought this was a great way of building up this storied rivalry. At this point, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express have fought so much that you really don't have to say anything more to build it up than we're fighting. Yeah. The best part for me is Lane's ending line, the day the music died. Yeah. Perfect and perfectly delivered, I thought. Was it because Cornette in his typical motor mouth style... Because you're expecting a rhythm, and then it stops, and you get the good line at the end there. Yeah, he, it, it serves to highlight it very well. Exactly, it's a good punctuation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent, yeah. Classic cornet, it's all you need, really. <laughs> I was thinking while I was listening to it, though. Can you imagine what, how different the Fallout intro would be if uh, Cornet was delivering it? Mm. Just with them talking about uh, some things never change. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm picture, sorry, picturing him do the war. War never changes. <laughs> I can definitely hear that, yeah. Now, just based on one line in a promo, is Stan Lane better than his doppelganger, Lex Luger? I don't know. We'll have to see Luger's promo tonight. That's true. No. Because, I mean, I bet Luger could deliver an awesome, awesome single line in a promo, too. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Wouldn't have to be up all night studying. Yes. Our third match is the Rock and Roll Express, that's Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, versus the Midnight Express. Beautiful Bobby Eaton and Sweet Stan Lane with Jim Cornette. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. Like cats and dogs, the two expresses always seem to fight when they get near each other. <laughs> other than that, there's not much story here. Now, um, from something that Morton says during the match, it seems like the Rock and Rolls might have just recently returned to the NWA. They, they're they're also kind of like with Shane Douglas, they come and go so much it's hard to keep track. Yeah, they returned in January. Okay. 
So that would make sense, because I know he says, like, it's good to be back home or something midway through the match. Oh, yes, absolutely. I noticed the Rock and Roll Express's entrance music has exactly the same intro as Johnny B. Bad's will later. Huh. Yeah, it was weird. (laughs) The two come out in different coats, Morton with a short denim jacket and Gibson with a long gray coat. I liked Morton's better myself. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll, Funk sings. (laughs) Funk is a Kenny Loggins fan, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. The Midnights are out next, as JR and Funk build up this epic rivalry. Jim Cornette takes a microphone, but it doesn't get piped through the TV feed, so it looks like the crowd can hear his introduction of the Midnights, but we really can't. It does, however, cut in just in time for Stan Lane to intro Jim Cornette. Uh, a lot of wrestling pop culture references are seriously at least 10 years out of date when they're made, so it was pretty surprising to hear one that is actually still culturally relevant today. That's true, yeah. When I first heard this, I thought it was referencing Ivana and Trump's divorce, but that wasn't actually until 1992. Oh, interesting. So it's it's predictive. <laughs> I'll say, uh, maybe, they, maybe they separated. I mean, I don't, I don't follow that too much. I don't remember that when there was a separation or... I just know the actual divorce wasn't until 92. <laughs> now, I will say this is just after Trump technically hosted two WrestleManias. That's uh, four and five. Oh, good point. So I wonder if that's an extra layer to this. Uh, could be, could be. A little uh, sniping between the companies. <laughs> WrestleMania five was April 89, so that would be pretty close to this. It would have been after the last one, so yeah. I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> oh, man. The mullets in this match. Oh, I know, I know. Eaton, Morton, and Gibson all have epic mullets. Even Lane's hair is pretty mullety at this time, just not quite a shining example of the hairstyle like the others. Now, we talked about this while we were watching, Al. Uh, the mullet mullet rankings, my best is Morton, then Eaton, Gibson, and Lane. I think I, I tend to like um, Morton's most, because mm-hmm. Morton's is like the classic dirty mullet. Yes. Gibson's isn't bad, but I think Gibson drinks below um, Lane and, and Eaton's. I think so. It's probably Morton, Eaton, Lane, and then Gibson. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I could probably flip the last two. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but M- Morton is number one mullet, no matter where you are. Yes. Yeah. That's that is a terrific mullet. <laughs> Lane, however, of course, wins in the Lex Luger resemblance contest. Yes. <laughs> I will also note, if you go to the Wikipedia page for the Rock and Roll Express, it's a picture of them that seems to be fairly recent because they are noticeably older than they are in this show. And Morton still has a pretty good mullet. All right. Keep it alive, dude. Yeah, middle's going, middle's going out, but the, the long there is still there. Yeah. <laughs> it threatens to turn into a four-man brawl until Patrick establishes order, and Gibson and Lane start. They trade moves, and Lane complains that Gibson used a close fist punch. The crowd disagrees, and Lane yells at them. They run the ropes, and Lane tries a flip, but Gibson stops and hits a fist drop, and Lane rolls out, where Cornette fans him with his tennis racket. I feel like that wouldn't really be that effective. Probably not. <laughs> Lane and Cornette shove Nick Patrick around, but he shoves back, and Cornette challenges him to a fight, Oh yeah, and Patrick agrees. <laughs> like an old-timey boxing match. Oh my gosh, it was match. great. 
Cornette, of course, flees in moments, yes. making him one of the very few wrestling personalities to ever lose to a referee. Yeah, it's true. Morton and Lane in, and Morton sends Lane into a charging Eaton with an atomic drop. Lane decks Eaton, but Cornette makes peace. Eaton tries his luck with Morton, but eats several arm drags. He tries a test of strength, but Morton walks up his body and jumps off his shoulder to hit a charging Lane, while Gibson dives off the top rope to nail Eaton. Amazing spot. That was terrific. Yeah. Cornette trips Morton on a whip, but Morton shoves him into the ring, and Gibson hits a double noggin knocker on the Midnights and slugs Cornette. Lane does chest compressions on a clearly conscious Cornette. That scrapped <laughs> me up. <laughs> Funk says those won't work, as Cornette doesn't have a heart. Ouch. So is he like a robot? Is that what he means? Well, I assume that Ric Flair <laughs> got to him at some point and oh. tore it out his throat. Yeah. And then showed the world that he had no heart. Yeah, that's the way we prove it. Yeah. <laughs> the Rock and Rolls trade off against the Midnights until a Morton crossbody sends Morton and Eaton over the top rope to the floor, and Lane slams Morton on the floor. Gibson helps Morton back in, but the Midnights destroy Morton, aided by a cornet racket shot. Lane lands his great kicks and a drop toe hold to hold Morton for an Eaton elbow drop for two. Eaton suplex, nearly a brain buster for two and a half. Gibson breaks up a pin off a lane power slam. The Midnights take advantage of accidental referee distraction by Gibson to lay in more abuse, and Eaton taunts Morton and hits his great arm breaker into a hammer lock. Cornette mm-hmm. verbally abuses a cameraman. Even when Morton gets a strike or two in, he just slumps exhausted. Eaton hits a top rope elbow drop for two, but Gibson breaks that up. Patrick warns Lane about using the rope, so Cornette sneaks in a racket shot, then pretends he was just using it to scratch his back. Sure, sure. Lane and Eaton work Morton's arm. Morton gets close to tagging a couple times, but the Midnights keep blocking. The Midnights eventually try their rocket launcher splash, but Morton gets his knees up as Eaton comes down. Wobbly, Eaton tries to grab Morton, but he rolls past to tag Gibson. Gibson runs wild on both Midnights with punches, slams, and drop kicks, and rolls up Eaton, but Lane breaks it up. Four-man brawl, and Cornette sneaks in a racket shot as Patrick's trying to restore order. Gibson kicks out at the last possible moment. It's a really nice two count, yeah. Amazing, yeah. Cornette screams for the Midnights to finish Gibson. They go for a double flapjack, but Eaton seems to lose his grip, then gets tackled by Morton as Gibson falls on top of Lane and cradles him for the three count and the win. I feel like there was a slight mistiming to the ending there, I think. I'd wager that Morton was supposed to hit Eaton to make him let go, not afterwards. So, when I rewatched this match to get my final thoughts on it, I stopped at that point and rewound a couple of times to get the exact timing of that right. And the best way I can view that is that Gibson seems to sort of push him away. It's not like a real forceful push, so it definitely it's just him getting to the spot. But yeah, I had actually watched that a couple of times to get the time because it looks like he kind of lets go for no reason and gets speared, but he does actually... I totally missed that, yeah. I said I really had to look and catch that. I was like, okay. For me, the inning was the weakest part. I was like, I got to make this work somehow. I got to see, like, just want to give it a fair shake. I'm like, okay, it works a little better the more I look at it. That would make sense, yeah, if it's something that Gibson does. And I just, I just never caught it. But okay, yeah, forgivable then. It's not the most fluid that spot could be, but that's also a tricky spot to be. Yeah, yeah. And if something was going wrong, it's not a spot you can actually, like, stop or pause for things to get situated again. Right. They're dedicated at that point. They have to go with it. Exactly. Thoughts on this one? I thought it was a really fun and chaotic match. 
I like that Cornette got a lot to do here mm-hmm. throughout the match, especially early on, but he never really takes away from the match. Right. I believe I highlighted for um, the Bunkhouse Dead Peach show that I thought Eden and um, Koloff. It was the Eden Koloff yes. match. Yeah. I thought that one wasn't, wasn't as interesting as it could have been, but Cornette was just so entertaining throughout. Right. But for me, in that match, he had to accent it to make it interesting. In this case, they obviously don't need that help. It's the Rock and Roll Express and Express. They can do it just fine. Yeah, it's just all merging together into into something great. Yeah. Burnett's performance is the frosting on the cake. Exactly, yeah. If he, if he wasn't there, the match would still be really good. That's mm-hmm. the thing I was wanting to make with that guess, yeah. I think we, we covered this a lot when we were watching the first time. There's a bunch of spots they do that look like basic setups to move, and they do variations of them. Yes. Like they um, roll out, and normally it's a DDT, because that's a quick motion into the same sort of rotation. But they do a, a neck breaker out of it instead, and a couple of spots mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, the Morton climbing up the guy's spot was pretty impressive as well. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, might, I might probably mentioned this one. There's another match that does the same thing, but they do the person crawl underneath someone's leg to escape the corner spot. And so it's weird seeing full-grown adults do it. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I mean, it works. It's a, it's a, obviously, it's just an escape. I'm used to like a slide or like a jump or something. It's just sort of weird, the crawling between a full-grown adult's legs, and you're also a full-grown adult. Yes. I don't know. It's a very strange spot. <laughs> like I said, the finish looked off to me at first, but it makes more sense when I really looked at it more closely. Yeah. It's definitely one that they could have done better, and who knows, they probably do a similar spot in another match. It's probably why they did it. And maybe there's a better version of this, but overall, the matches are really good. It doesn't really take that much away from it for me. Yeah, a wonderful tag match here. Not that that's any surprise given the participants. Mm-hmm. We only got to see this feud once in our Starcade run as a scaffold match. Oh, right. So this was obviously much better. Yes, yes it was. Lots of great double teams, innovative moves, and tag distraction antics, combined with great crowd interaction and an amazing heel manager in Jim Cornette, mm-hmm. who is eminently punchable at all times. Oh, I know. He's so good. On the innovation front, I also liked that they really did a good job of bringing in the history between the teams, where it seemed like they were able to counter things because they knew each other so well. Yes. So it really pulled in the fact that these guys have fought so often, makes them spot the things that the other teams are going to do. Like uh, when Morton gets tripped, and he immediately gives chase to Cornette, not because he's angry about what Cornette just did, but because he knows that Cornette's going to try and like hand the racket to someone while the ref's distracted or something like that. Yeah. And he knows they've got to counter that. Exactly. Exceptional timing by all for most of the match, finding exactly the right moments for the Midnights or Cornette to sneak in cheap shots, as Morton, of course, sells like mad, mm-hmm. interrupted only by very slight hope spots. A uh, nice false finish towards the end with the racket shot uh, as well. I, I really thought that was going to be it, honestly. Yeah, I can see that. And like you said, the actual finish maybe could have been performed a little bit better, but it does still work. Yeah. The bit with Cornette and Patrick was hilarious. Yeah, it was, yeah. So, great mix of action and comedy in this match, and I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, me too. Uh, Capital Combat, the Rock Monk Express would challenge the Freebirds in a strap match, while the Minute Express would go for the U.S. Tag Team titles in the same show. We go back to Gordon Soley, who is with the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. Ellering is not dressed for safari today, wearing a nice suit instead. (laughs) (laughs) The Road Warriors have Sting armbands on. Thank you, gentlemen. The Road Warriors and Paul Ellering are with me right now. And in just a moment, you're going to be stepping into the ring in the Chicago street fight. And Teddy Long says that 
Danny Spivey's injured. That's right, Gordon Sully. But first of all, everybody's wondering, the Warriors, we got our brothers in paint armband on to help us as if we need any help to kick the skyscraper's butt. Tell him, Hawk. Needless to say, we went back to Chicago, slept in alleys, streets, near the gutter, and what do we do? We put 16 guys in the hospital just getting psyched up for this thing. Paul, <laughs> he just got back from Hong Kong, and you know something? You got a surprise for us? None for you. Same old story. We win, you lose. Tell him, Paul. You know something? We've gotten where we are today because we never underestimate our opponents. Teddy Long, you could have Danny Spivey come out from anywhere. I realize that, and not for a minute am I going to forget it. We're ready for you, and stick your nose in there. Please. Now let's go back to the ring, please. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hawk is easily the highlight here, mm-hmm. going way, way over the top, claiming they put 16 people in the hospital just to get psyched up for the match. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's, that's what you call the police on them. <laughs> yes, probably. Ellering gets the storyline across fine and adds a little intrigue, questioning if there will be a sneak attack by Spivey. It wasn't much to his part, but he did what he could with it. As for Animal, so wait, they have Sting armbands on to help them, but they don't need help. Is that a nice tribute or not? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of confused. It's kind of an uneven promo to me, but Hawk's part makes it pretty awesome. Yes. I can say that. <laughs> it's one of those cases where someone starts no volume, you can yell or get louder to add emphasis. Mm-hmm. Well, like someone yelled, you can get quiet at emphasis. In this case, someone started yelling, and so you had to yell even louder to get emphasis. Yes. <laughs> I love Hawk's tone of voice in these promos, too. It's just like, I can't even describe how he talks. Yeah. It's so unique, the, the like, tone he uses. He's not yet doing his extremely weird, well, when he well, starts the promos, yeah. but, but uh, you can tell he's working towards something as a transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. I love the, the uh, same old story, we win, you lose. <laughs> the delivered at hyperspeed. He was trying to be Jim Cornette there. Yes. <laughs> Our fourth match is the Skyscrapers. That's Mean Mark Callis and the Masked Skyscraper with Sugar Ray Theodore R. Long versus the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal with Precious Paul Ellering in a Chicago street fight. The referee for this match is Mike Atkins. A battle for supremacy occurred when Teddy Long brought in Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey, uniting them as the Skyscrapers. Their goal was to take out the Road Warriors, the most dominant tag team in wrestling at this point. That's a pretty pretty good goal to aim for, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Sid Vicious got injured in November, right before Starcade. Right, yeah, that's why they weren't on there. So yeah, they skipped the Starcade show entirely, replaced with the, the Samoans. So without him at injured for a while, they brought in Mean Mark Callis to be his replacement. At the previous class of champions in early February, the duo of Dan Spivey and Mark Callis lost via DQ to the Road Warriors, but in the process, they beat them up and, and seemed to injure them, okay. which seemed to be a first, like a major in kayfabe. Mm. If you're taking out this big team, you know, actually injured them, it's got to be something. Yeah, because they're not just winners in the tag division. Generally, they're portrayed as like super massive tough guys Yes, as well, so I can see that being a big angle. Yeah, that, that's the crux of this match, is that they haven't actually beaten them in a match, but you know they've also never been pinned by them, so it's kind of a trade-off. Right. But they managed to 
injure them and seem to take them out temporarily. Then, of course, Dan Spivey abruptly leaves WCW just before the show. Oh, my gosh. Citing pay issues. Oh, jeez. So he's not injured. No, he's not injured at all. He has left. Okay. Correct. He has left. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He'll turn later in the year for uh, the target. To give that terrible match an amazing promo. Correct. <laughs> to sum up, we began with the tag team of Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey here to take out the Road Warriors. Then we lost Sid Vicious and got a new guy who's good, but has less name prominence than Sid. Yes. I think he's better in the ring than Sid at this point, but it's not the same value as a name. And then you lost Dan Spivey, so you've got the worst way this this match can actually come on pay-per-view, unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, Mean Mark Callis is, of course, better known today as The Undertaker. Yes. <laughs> He's about half a year from starting his run over in the WWF at this point, I believe. Yes. He debuts at Survivor Series 1990, is it? That is the one. The Masked Skyscraper is Mike Enos, who was actually currently part of the AWA World Tag Team Champions, thus I imagine the mask. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the um, unannounced, uh, unpromoted, interpromotional match, yes. Oh, God, we need a big guy come over and help us right now. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. I guess Jack Victory wasn't big enough. Jack Victory is usually there, throw a mask on him, he's whatever you need to be. <laughs> yeah, show. pretty much. I guess he didn't fit that, quite fit that bill, so they need something even bigger. Hawk and Animal come into Iron Man, and a couple bikers pull out on motorcycles. So Hawk and Animal oddly ride on the backs of the cycles down the entrance ramp for like three seconds. Yes. It looks tough and all, but it's over in a flash. Yeah. Ellering challenges Teddy Long to a fight and Long charges, but Ellering dodges and decks him. The Road Warriors dominate with Hawk's flying shoulder block and big boot and Animal's clothesline and atomic drop. Doom, maskless now, wander down to ringside looking very sharp in tuxedos and sunglasses. Yep. They learned the Z-Top lesson. Yeah. <laughs> JR theorizes that Long has hired them as bodyguards. The skyscrapers briefly take over with strikes and choking, but still eat a huge animal dropkick. Callus drops Hawk on the top rope, and the skyscrapers double-team animal, but Hawk marches over and catches Callus's punch. It looks really weird when Callus uses facial expressions here. I'm just not used to it. Yes. <laughs> what is this emoting you speak of? Yeah. <laughs> He's not necessarily bad at it. It's no. just like, you're going to then spend, I don't know, a good 30 years never doing that. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like seeing Daniel Day-Lewis in like a screwball comedy. It would make yeah. no sense to your brain. <laughs> yeah. Hawk clotheslines each skyscraper down. The brawling continues, and Atkins tries to break up rope chokes. He realizes this is a street fight, right? <laughs> yeah. Hawk and Callus fight outside, and Hawk hits a clothesline off the apron, his great standing dropkick, and a hard straight punch. Callus rams him to the barricade and chokes him with a rope. The masked skyscraper fights Animal, but looks legitimately exhausted, mm -hmm. and his punches have nothing. Yeah. The skyscrapers try a double clothesline, but Animal ducks and clotheslines both down. Hawk dumps Callus over the top rope, and he and Animal hit the Doomsday device on the masked skyscraper for the three count and the win, as Callus just decides to walk away instead of helping. How appropriate. <laughs> yes. Long charges the ring against the advice of his bodyguards, Doom, and Animal grabs him, hefts him overhead, and hurls him over the ropes into Doom's arms. Long didn't really seem to know how to go up for the move, so it was all Animal just muscling him up and over. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you can tell how much... 
they work together on moves like that normally. Oh, yeah. Because Animal seems to not necessarily have a hard time, but he's he's struggling a little bit more than you'd expect, given how easily he lifts people like that in a match. Yeah. But they know how to go up for the move, and Long doesn't. Yeah, someone generally, they'll, they'll, you run towards them and sort of elevate yourself, and they beat them, beat them middle, essentially. Mm-hmm. But Long did not do that. And you'll hold still, and Long is wiggling all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Doom doff their jackets and get in to yell at the warriors, but turn to go, only to turn around and attack. Doom try to use fist loads, but the warriors get them. Hawk hits a power slam on Reed and dumps him over the top rope, then decks Simmons to knock him out of the ring. Animal is the only one that got out of all that with his shirt intact. (laughs) (laughs) We lose Funk's mic for a few moments as he's discussing the end of the match. Thoughts on this one? Lots of punching. (laughs) Yes. Lots and lots of punching. You're not ever in the street, by the way, or anything resembling a street, but I guess street and spirit, maybe. Yeah. The match has a few interesting high points. Animal Rambo doing a dropkick is nice, mm-hmm. as weird as it feels in the middle of punching. It's one of those matches where, if it was a normal match, these spots would be fine, but have no impact. Like, you know, dropkick or the diving closing off the apron. Other than, the, obviously, the Doom device, which always look terrifying. Oh my gosh, yes. Bet you the bigger the guy is. I rewatched that to make sure how close his head clearing was. It is, it's a pretty tight tuck there. Yes. But yeah, it's just one of those matches, it's hard to keep interest because it's just these guys punching each other. And like I said, at this point, it's not even the group that originally came in to fight the Road Warriors. Right. You've lost all of the storyline build to it. Yeah. So this is just a match now. Because you talked about it before um, on the previous shows where the blow-off to the Min Express versus the original Min Express is only is half because one of them actually leaves the company. Right, yeah. And they throw, I think, Jack Victory, in this case, in a mask, and he's the masked express guy. Now, imagine if both of them had left, <laughs> exactly. and there's two different people fighting them. And that's this match. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, the somewhat cheap finish was Lado, I think, because clearly there's no long-term plan for Mike Enos, the masked skyscraper. It's a one-and-done character. So it makes sense that he would lose. Yes. They obviously didn't want to have Taker get taken out. Obviously, I'm sure in his part, he's like, wait, I don't take the Doomsday device? I guess, if you insist. <laughs> I mean, I'm really looking forward to it, but... <laughs> but so, yeah, him walking out, it's definitely the, the best way to protect him. He doesn't, like, try to run in and he's countered. So it's the best way, I guess, you could do it. But it's a shame that after all this buildup for, like, three or four months, it's just what we get. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Okay. I kind of liked that they were able to have him do that because that guy's not his regular partner anyway. Why should he care? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, obviously it fits with his name too, but... Yeah. Is it interesting that, that Long didn't seem that bothered by it? Long has yeah. given up on this, this story. So I was like, well, <laughs> that, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. He seems to have no issue with Taker just... Uh, Come Taker now. With me and Mark <laughs> just sort of leaving. He just is. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, was it kind of weird for you to see him just, like, thrown through the ropes, too? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just landing on the floor like anyone else, where normally... I'm so used to that, like, clothesline over the top, and he lands on his feet spot. Yes. That he does in a whole bunch of matches throughout his career. It's it's neat seeing him early in his career, and just, like, you can tell it's him when you look at him. Yes. But he's not doing almost any of the stuff that you know. Yeah. He's not doing the rope walk. He's not doing the clothesline out of the ring and land on my feet spot. He is doing choking, which was a big part of his early WWF run, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, the, the biggest disappointment for this run of the show so far with Wrestle War 
is that we've had two matches with Johnny Ace, and it's obviously our last one with him. And he didn't do the Ace Crusher, so I yep. didn't make the RKO comparisons or Diamond Cutter comparisons. And we had one match with me and Mark, and he didn't do the Rope Walk. Yeah. That's all I asked for, but no. <laughs> yeah, not a heck of a lot of complexity to the match, but Callus, Hawk, and Animal do give it all they've got here, I felt. And there's a few very nice, hard-looking strikes and vicious moves in the mix. The Masked Skyscraper is the weak link, I think, with wispier punches and not much in the way of character. Not that he really had much time to work on his character, <laughs> being brought in, apparently, kind of on an emergency basis. Yeah. Doom's presence, I thought, added to the match, and their post-match confrontation with the Warriors was probably more interesting than the whole match. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Not a lot to this, but it was fine for just adding something a bit different between the standard tag matches. Mm -hmm. It's also fun as a curiosity to see part of Undertaker's brief WCW run. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it, but more from the sense of, oh, that's really interesting to see him here and see how different he is. But as far as the match goes, I, I could miss this one. Yeah, pretty much. The last time we had a Chicago street fight... It was mainly like four of the stipulations. That was the... Do you know the full name of that match? Uh, there was the Chicago Street Fight uh, Six-Man Texas Barbed Wire match. Something like that, yeah. So when we did that, you did mention that there is a Chicago, Texas. Yes. I can one-up you for that. Okay. Technically, two-up you for that. So first off, there is a now-abandoned town called Chicago, Kansas. Okay. Which is the name of two different rock bands, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but more interestingly, there's also a Chicago, Zimbabwe. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. There's a suburb in there. Okay. We had the international tag team show at once Starcade. It's a shame that you couldn't have a entire street fight with a team from Zimbabwe. Yeah, they've that. challenged the Road Warriors. And that would have like, been great. Yeah. You're like, oh, we'll challenge you to our favorite match, the Chicago Street Fighter. The Road Warriors like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we both are from Chicago. Okay. <laughs> yes. Dream booking. That would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This would be the end of the skyscrapers, save for a one-night reunion at Starcade, which, let's be honest, sucked. <laughs> the promo was awesome, though. Yes, the match itself. If they just didn't do the match. <laughs> I think that is, on a technical level, the worst match on all of Starcade. It's really awful. Because there's like four moves, and they're all messed up. Yeah, they botched almost every move in the match. I'm not sure there's one that they don't mess up, honestly. I feel like there's like one point where they punch someone and it works. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> and that's being pretty generous. <laughs> Obviously, as mentioned, the Road Warriors will compete in Capital Combat in a six-man match, which would be cut from the VHS release. Basically lost the time for 24 years. Yes. Until the network released it. Interestingly enough, the masked skyscraper, Mike Enos, would actually join WCW in 1990. 1991 would be the tail end of the AWA, where he was working at this point. So he needed somewhere else to go to. So when he worked in the AWA, he was part of the tag called the Destruction Crew. That's a pretty good one. He comes into WCW with his tag partner from the AWA. They got him both in, probably at a dirt cheap, because mm -hmm. where else are you going to go? And they became the Minnesota Wrecking Crew number two. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Not the new Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Minnesota Wrecking Crew two. And I believe they actually were managed briefly by Ole Anderson. You're, you're trying to give Mike Enos the, the Andersons gimmick? Come on. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Not the best call. No. <laughs> JR lets us know that we're at the halfway point of the show, and now the remaining matches are championship matches. Funk says that Doom and the Road Warriors are surely not done. 
The NWA is the best in the world, and it's a great night of wrestling. JR tells him to settle down, and Funk does not, doing a funny dance at the camera. (laughs) JR and Funk break down the remaining matches, and Funk predicts that Flair will win the world title match against Luger. So our fifth match is the Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes, versus Brian Pillman and the Z-Man, for Pillman and Z-Man's... I said Pillman like Z-Man. No, honestly, okay. that works. I think that kind of kind of does. Yeah, Pillman and Z-Man. Yeah, <laughs> for Pillman and Z-Man's NWA United States Tag Team Championships. The referee for this one is Nick Patrick. So, as you talked about in the last show, which was confusingly main evented by the U.S. Tag Title match, that was so weird. It still befuddles us to this day. The U.S. Tag Titles are vacated storyline purpose, maybe a month or so after that show, and. They're just lost in limbo for a while. Cut to the beginning of 1990, and they decide they want the titles back again for some reason. I don't know why it took them so long to think of this. So they naturally form a tournament, you know, all these teams. But in a surprise, the winners are, as you noted, Pillman and Tom Zink. Okay. So it's not, you know, the Road Warriors or the Express or anyone you would think would be that. Weirdly, they had a class champion just a couple weeks before this show, and Pillman and Zink do wrestle. But they don't hold the finals of the tournament on that show. Huh. Yeah. On a clash of the champions. They just wrestle someone else in a match to promote them before they then win the titles. Okay. And I believe the Freebirds were part of the tournament, but they don't actually fight Pillman and Zink in this. So this is the first match for them. All right. There's no almost Freebird intro to Bad Street USA this time, so that must have been a flop last show. Hayes has one heck of a shiny coat, but it's not as good as last year. Yeah. Garvin has a fairly sedate leather jacket, by comparison. Yeah, yeah. Z-Man and Pillman do the generic babyface hand-slapping entrance, and Pillman tells his mom hello when he notices the cameras pointing at him. The Freebirds beckon some shiny-dressed ladies to the ring, but as they turn to take off their coats, Pillman and Z-Man quietly get the girls to leave and take their places, taking the Freebirds' coats. Pillman and Z-Man tap the Freebirds on the shoulder and slug them, then hit double back body drops. Hayes rolls out, and Z-Man sends Garvin out with a dropkick, and Pillman and Z-Man try on the Freebirds' coats, but Pillman can't figure out how to put Hayes' coat on, so he just drapes it on his shoulders. <laughs> oh, I forgot that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He works at it so hard. He just, like, gives up, drapes it across his shoulders, go with it. Yeah. <laughs> it did look like, I don't know, pretty slick or something. It was probably hard to work with, all the shiny material. Bad Street USA plays, and Pillman and Z-Man mock the Freebird struts. Funk says the Freebirds dance better, but are uglier. <laughs> the crowd chants, Freebirds suck! Pillman gets the better of Hayes. Tags and Z-Man gets the better of Garvin, but after a dropkick, Garvin dodges a second one. See, if that had been a top rope dropkick, Z-Man would have known it was impossible. That's true. <laughs> Tag to Pillman, and he gets a crucifix pin on Garvin for two. Hayes fluffs Garvin's hair, and JR jokes that he's checking for rats. Funk says Garvin might be hiding a weapon in there. (laughs) Hayes in, and he lands some strikes, but Pillman and Z-Man work on Hayes' arm. Hayes finally lands a hard clothesline on Z-Man and tags Garvin, but Z-Man and Pillman do well against him, too. The crowd gets distracted by something, so Pillman works a wrist lock until they're paying attention again. It looked like Nick Patrick might have given him some advice there. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He kind of walks by and clearly says something, and then Pillman starts working the wrist lock for longer. Oh, I noticed that. So I think he's like, hey, man, they're not watching. (laughs) (laughs) 
Pillman counters a whip with a hip toss, knee strike, and headlock takedown for two, but Garvin tags Hayes for strikes and a sleeper hold. Funk mentions that the sleeper hold is extremely dangerous and tells kids not to do it. Pillman escapes, but Hayes counters a charge with a hard left punch. Funk calls it a right, and JR corrects him, but then jokes that Hayes might be ambidextrous. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward Hayes second rope crossbody, but Pillman rolls through for two. Garvin gets two off a double-team elbow, and the Freebirds trade off to wear Pillman down, until Garvin and Pillman knock into each other and both go down, and Pillman manages to make the tag to Z-Man. Z-Man fights each Freebird and builds to a sleeper, the Z-Lock. Actually, to correct you there, he didn't go for a sleeper, he gets a sleep hold. Yes. The deadly sleep hold. <laughs> Which, for some reason, they call that all, all match. Yes. He actually does it uh, even in Luger and Flair. Oh, really? This night, he just continually calls that the sleep hold. Maybe it's like a patent thing. They're trying to patent that separately. Very confusing. Oh, okay. In, in any case, uh, Z-Man's version is called the Z-Lock. Huh. Pillman counters Garvin's interference, but Patrick ushers Pillman out. So Garvin jumps in off the top rope to hit Z-Man in the neck for two for Hayes, who throws Z-Man through the ropes. The Freebirds beat Z-Man up outside and inside the ring and work some neck holds. Hayes tells Z-Man he should never have been champ, and tells Patrick that Z-Man wants to give up. (laughs) Z-Man fights free and gets a nice power slam, but Hayes dodges an elbow drop. But Z-Man counters a slam with an inside cradle for two. Garvin in, two count off a Garvin knee drop. Back to Hayes, and Z-Man charges but eats a fast punch. They've got to learn not to charge at Hayes. Right? Yeah. Hayes slips off the top rope as Z-Man tries to grab him, but quickly snapmares him down and elbow drops him for a couple two counts. I think that was a botch, but Hayes covered it pretty well. Hmm. Garvin in, and he gets a rear chin lock, then decks Pillman to stop a tag. Pillman charges in, but Patrick ushers him out, and Hayes hits a top rope strike to Z-Man for two and nine-tenths. Pillman breaks up a pin off a Hayes bulldog, and Z-Man finally catches Hayes with his own DDT. Tags to Garvin and Pillman, who springs in as Garvin yells, Aw, hell! (laughs) (laughs) Pillman rapidly lands a back body drop and several high-angle drop kicks, and a flying shoulder block to both. Z-Man got in during that, but did nothing. Maybe he got in early? Yeah, I I watched that match. I was like, that's weird. He's in the ring, he keeps trying to start a move, and then nothing happens. Yeah, Yeah, moments moments later, we get a four-man brawl, so I think he's supposed to jump in there. Hmm, okay. That could be it. A four-man brawl, and Z-Man throws Hayes through the ropes, but Patrick ushers Z-Man out. The Freebirds hold Pillman and try to use a title belt, but Patrick stops Hayes, only for Garvin to ram Pillman into the camera instead. Great spot there. Mm -hmm. Garvin tries to DDT Z-Man, but Pillman recovers, climbs up top, and hits a crossbody on Garvin for the three-count and the win. Annoyed, Hayes and Garvin hit DDTs to Z-Man and Pillman, then elbow drop and stomp on Pillman. Z-Man can't be bothered to sell at all as he just springs up and chases them out of the ring after a DDT. Come on, man, at least look groggy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the Freebird basically no-sell the entire match to beat them up, so I guess... <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah. Thoughts on this one? It's a strong match, but it's a little long, I think. Mm-hmm. The main thing for me, I think, is they tell a pretty good story here. I mean, the narrative is pretty clear, and they, they really emphasize in a commentary. The Freebirds are a long-established team. They wrestled everywhere at this point. They're a unit. Everything is in sync with them. They pop in now when need to. Obviously, they use their continuity to cheat all the time. That's just what heels do. Yes. In contrast, Pillman and Zink are a relatively new team, so anytime they're working together, 
it's less that they're working as a team and more they're working as two strong individuals that will occasionally help each other out. Yeah. So it makes a nice narrative. It's funny that almost covers the bot to present comes in early and doesn't actually do anything yeah. really. They don't really have tag stuff worked out yet. Exactly. Yeah. They could have said that in comment, it might have helped, but that's just, that's my inference there to try and cover it anyways. Mm-hmm. The finish is interesting to me. I like the idea that they can't get the one shot to work, so they just throw him at the camera. The problem is that he just kind of no-sells it and climbs the ropes like nothing happened. Yeah. They kind of moved to the actual finish a little bit too quickly. Yeah. It would have helped if maybe they abused Z-Man a little bit more, and then Pillman came in for the rescue. Yeah, he, he could have been like on the apron maybe stunned or something like halfway over the rope or something yeah, like pull, that. pulling a kevin sullivan yeah exactly <laughs> or like with um cornette was doing when he's trying to sell being punched early and he's like swinging back and forth in the ropes as right. if anything was happening to him but yeah like always pillman's crossbody is really good mm-hmm. it's notable though that because he has to go higher up because garvin's holding zinc he doesn't hit him like chest first like you normally do and sort of roll into it he's definitely higher up and Kind of the flying version in the sense of what um, what Norman did to, <laughs> especially watching the replay. He comes yeah. in really high and does the, it's less unpleasant than the Cactus Jack of it for sure. But he definitely when he lands when he's in the the ground, it's definitely higher up than you need to be on a crossbody. <laughs> the negative for me was like I said, the Freebirds kind of no sell the match and immediately get their heat back. I get that they're going for another match with them, but it just like felt too sudden. I would have liked maybe if Pillman and Zinc, again, showing their sort of rookie status, relatively speaking, maybe they celebrated in the ring while the Freebirds recovered, and instead of leaving the ring, and the Freebirds attacked them yeah. once they've recovered. Instead, it's just like, it's instant retaliatory. Mm-hmm. It feels like when you watch a match where something is like a surprise roll-up, someone pops up and attacks them. Right. Because that doesn't knock you out, it just held you down. But crossbody is supposed to actually do some impact to you, and it's just, I guess it didn't. Yeah. I think to their credit, it does come after they've been in control for most of the match, and we only had Pillman's hot tag segment. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they've taken a ton of offense at that point. Sure, sure. They've been in control for most of it. But yeah, I agree. The crossbody should probably keep Garvin at least down for longer than he's down. Yeah. Yeah, this was perfectly well-performed with some good holds by Z-Man and great flying moves by Pillman, and some nice character work from the Freebirds. Nice quick haze punches, too. I like that gimmick for him. Yes. It's a pretty standard tag formula match at heart, though, and it gets slowed down quite a bit by rest holds during the extended Z-Man face and peril bit. Garvin and Hayes try jawing at the camera to make that interesting, but that only gets so far. Mm -hmm. They really needed to do more and really fight for position, and Z-Man just kind of lays there in the holds for most of the time. Yeah, you can be dynamic with long holds, like with the Regal match, Regal uh, Simo match, for instance. There's always something happening in the ring. Sometimes it, it is... Just a rest spot, and you just sort of sit there, yeah. Yep. This is one of those matches that feels like it could maybe lose about five minutes and be better for it. Mm-hmm. There's a fair amount of repetition to it, and that hurt my interest. Yeah. All told, I think I would have been fine with this one if it had been the only tag match on the card. Mm. But it wasn't, so to me, this needed to be more than it actually was. But... I actually really liked the ending, and they got creative with it, and I thought it was fun. I just wish the rest had been a little bit more interesting going into it. But again, I feel like it's because I'd seen several tag matches on this show. Right. I just kind of needed them to do something more than just a regular tag match. But I agree, your your points on the story, definitely. I mean, I, I agree they got their story across fine. There's nothing really wrong with how they performed this match. 
Yeah, I have a theory I'll discuss later on as to why I think the match is, is so long, but we'll get to that later. Okay. I don't know if this is actually intentional, but I'm getting the benefit of the doubt here. So, Tom Zing comes out wearing plain white trunks and boots. Mm-hmm. Pillman comes out wearing plain blue trunks and boots. So, first thought is, oh, why are they matching as a tag team? Like the Freebird with their matching coats and pants and you know, even their frizzy hair is kind of the same. Although they do wear different coats this time. Oh, that's true. But yeah, generally speaking, they match really well. Yeah. However, if you think about it, the NWA U.S. tag title belts, besides having the lovely USA in red, white, and blue on the front of the gold plate, mm-hmm. has a red strap on it. Ah, so they're red, white, and blue. Exactly. Oh, okay. If that was intentional, that was good on their part. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually, that's a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give them credit for that one, even if I can't verify that was the intent. Yeah. The U.S. Tag Titles will be defended at Capital Combat, and now we, I can say who it's defending because, you know, I didn't want to spoil the match earlier. <laughs> now, what's interesting about that match, reading up on it, so originally that was not the plan. The plan was to be Tom Zink and Brian Pillman against the Samoan SWAT team mm. at Capital Combat. However, what happened was, about three weeks out, and this is the point where they start pre-taping stuff to save money, it gets really bad in like 91, 92, but they started a little of this. By about three, four weeks out, they're going to start promoting and building up this match between Zink, bringing Pillman and the SWAT team. However, the SWAT team just didn't show up that TV taping. They weren't there. <laughs> I guess it wasn't bad enough that they got fired or punished because they're still on Capital Combat. Yeah. They were wrestling a nothing match. But basically, they didn't show up, and backstage people like Jim Hurd are like, oh, well, they're not here. I guess Men Express then. Okay. So the Men Express get a get a tag title match just by the team not showing up. It's kind of funny. That is interesting. We go right to our next match. Okay. So our sixth match is the Horsemen, Arn and Ole Anderson, versus the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, for the Steiner's NWA World Tag Team Championships. The referee for this match is Mike Atkins. As we'll cover more in the next match, Ding will go down with injury at Clash of Champions before this show at the behest of the Horsemen, and the Anderson would reform because earlier they kicked Sting out of the group, and they put Ole in Sting's spot in the six-man match they had that show. Okay. So that's the reformation of the Anderson brothers. Woohoo. Yes. So they used the attack on Sting and the anger that the Steiners have towards them for it to get a world tag title shot at this. Okay. Also, as mentioned earlier, Great Muda abruptly left the company in January, so Arn's actually the TV champion as well at this point, because Muda dropped it to him on the way out, which is, I believe, the second or third time that's happened in the history of us covering these shows. <laughs> yeah, I think Arn seems to come up in those sort of situations a lot. He's a good, reliable guy that you can be like, okay, we need someone to have the title, put it on him. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a shame that the details gets no focus in this show. Yeah. They mentioned it like one time in commentary that he's also the TV champion. That's it. Yeah, I completely missed it. He, well, he, didn't, he didn't wear the belt to the ring, so yeah. yeah. It's easy too. <laughs> Punk brings back Arn and Oli's old Minnesota Wrecking Crew tag team name, and it's still awesome. Mm-hmm. The signers come out in their University of Michigan letter jackets, with Rick also wearing a paper on which he's scrawled Sting's Revenge, missing an apostrophe. Yes. He holds it up at Arn and Oli, then sets it down to take off his coat. Amusingly, Scott seems to mistake it for litter in the ring and kicks it, but then realizes what it is and tapes it to the turnbuckle. <laughs> it is also worth noting that later in this match, they mentioned that Rick Steiner has a degree in education. Yes. 
Rick Steiner is actually on the school board in, I think it's Cherokee County in Georgia. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in that area. Yeah. It's no managing a Shoney's, but hey, you know, <laughs> do what you gotta do. Arn and Scott start, but Arn whips around to deck Rick, then rolls out to dodge a punch from Scott. Arn congratulates himself, but Rick taps him on the shoulder and slugs him when he turns, then rolls him in. Oli charges in, but the Steiner's hit punches on both Andersons in stereo, sending both out of the ring. Back in, Arn tries to lure Scott into the Anderson's corner, but Scott's too smart for that. He takes down Arn with an atomic drop into Rick's raised boot, and later Oli with a huge stalling slam and a nice slip under a grab into a leg takedown. Scott tags Rick, and as Oli gets up, Rick's already in his face. A shocked Oli tells Atkins to get the mother- get him back! (laughs) As he realizes the camera's close enough to hear him. (laughs) Yeah, with me to swear. (laughs) Just a bit, he gets very close. (laughs) Uh... Oli gets Rick into the Anderson's corner, but Rick punches free, and the Steiners win a four-man brawl. Rick goes on all fours in the center of the ring, but Scott just walks around. I guess they haven't worked out their tag team pose yet. Yes. Tag to Arn, but Rick catches a leapfrog attempt, turning it into a lightning-fast power slam for two. Arn tries to lure Rick into the Anderson corner, but Rick plays around, moving in and scampering back. Arn can't get anything going against Rick, and we get tags to Oli and Scott. The Andersons trade off against Scott, but he counters everything. Oli does trick him with a feint to get a takedown. I like that they kind of did the same move to each other, uh, but in two different ways. Mm. Scott's yeah. just so fast that he gets the takedown, where Oli actually like uses trickery. Yeah. They make a point of that, yeah, that he got smarts him, essentially. Scott muscles Oli up through sheer might for a suplex. That was almost all Scott on that one. Knee drop by Scott for two, and he tags Rick who tries to stomp Oli's crotch, but Atkins stops that. Oli lets Rick push him into the Anderson corner, and they land knee strikes. Rick fights back, but the Andersons start wearing him down, taking advantage of Scott's protest for some double-teaming. Slam and elbow drop by Oli get two and a half, and Rick wins a slugfest, but Oli tags Arn and catches Rick's leg to stop a tag. But Rick stretches and makes it. I don't think I've ever seen the Anderson uh, grab the leg fail to stop someone from making the tag. That was That was interesting. It is surprising, yeah. After a Scott elbow, Arn rolls out of the ring. Scott follows, but Arn ducks a clothesline and Scott hits the ring post. The Andersons work Scott's arm outside and inside with barricade smashes, a variety of arm holds, and a very nice Arn hammerlock slam. The timing was perfect on that. Mm-hmm. Normally you can question, like, wait, why don't they just move their arm before they hit? But he literally lets go, like, a split second before he drops Scott on the mat. Mm, yeah. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Scott gets the knees up on an Arn second rope splash, ducks a clothesline, and hits the Frankensteiner, but he's too hurt to go for a pin. Both crawl for the tag. Arn tags Oli, and Scott tags Rick just as Oli nails Scott. Rick wins a slugfest and hits Steiner lines to each Anderson, but Arn knees him from behind and they whip him to the ropes. But Rick knees Arn in the face and rolls Oli up for the three count and the win. Oh, I was not ready for that to end. <laughs> Shock finish for me there. It was, that was surprising, yeah. I thought they were getting into the finish, but I didn't expect it to be like, oh, that that's it. <laughs> yeah. The Andersons knock Rick out of the ring, and Arn holds Scott's arm for an only knee off the second rope. Scott's arm is badly hurt, and the Andersons escape as Rick comes back with a chair. Thoughts on this one? thing for me is it took a while to get going, because I have a real sort of slow start to this match. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's intentional, like the heels being heels, but... It didn't seem like it was 
getting to birth going right away. Because it feels like it's supposed to be, again, they're mad. They're, they're trying to take out the Andersons. And the Andersons are trying to take advantage of their anger. And, but it took a while to pick up for me. Mm-hmm. Even once that gets going, it seems pretty methodical, the whole thing. I didn't like this as much as I was hoping to. And I'm, there's a number of reasons why, I think. But um, my note was that it was never boring. But I think the problem was this match doesn't show you what the stars can really do. Mm. I feel like, to me, the stars are working a match put together and run entirely by Arn and to probably more major extent Ole Anderson. And as part of that, you get brief bits of their impressive power and their technical ability, but they can work, we've seen some matches and they work really fast Mm -hmm. without being so fast you can't keep track of it. (laughs) It feels like when you see younger wrestlers and older wrestlers at times, and the young wrestler fully has to adapt and do what the older wrestler wants. Oh, okay. Because realistically, the older wrestler can't pop up as fast, these quick moves and everything. So the match becomes their match, and you can feel like they're wrestling in slow motion sometimes, or like a half speed or something like that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's disappointing for me in the sense that I know the stars can work a match with, like, say, the Midnight Express, for instance. I feel like a match between them and the Steiners, even with the working in a limb spot, and, you know, the heels control the middle of parts of the match, they built that tag, all the usual tag stuff. I feel like it would be, like, one and a half times faster than this match is. Mm-hmm. There's nothing bad about the mattress for me. It's just, it wasn't what I was hoping it was going to be, I think. Okay. I don't really want to put blame on but it feels like it's maybe because Oli can't go the speed they need to. I don't know. Maybe I'm seeing more of this than what's there. But yeah, it's, it's a good match. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad match. It's just, I expected something else when it's the Anderson and the Steiners. Hmm. No, it didn't quite get that for me. Okay. Take care of it, Will. For me, I had much more positive feelings on it, I think. Okay. Fifth tag match on the card, but it was still really good. The Steiners and the Andersons work very well together, and I thought they put on an exciting match with a really good mix of character and strategy. They made elements of the characters part of the match storyline here. The Andersons, the canny veterans, are constantly looking for ways to lure the eager Steiners into traps, but the Steiners are smart enough to catch at least some of them. It's not until uh, Oli actually lets Rick push him back into the Anderson corner that they succeed in catching one of the Steiners. Rick and Scott, I thought, came off as really strong, in no small part due to the shocked or shaken reactions that they kept getting from the Andersons. For sure, yeah. When the guys who come off as tough guys are treating you as something to be feared, it means a lot. Oh, no, I definitely agree with that one, yeah. I thought we got the usual excellent Anderson tag work and work on a body part, and the Steiners pulled off some very impressive moves, particularly that muscle-up suplex by Scott. Very good counter-wrestling sequences, too, intelligently built. There's a huge amount of variety to this one, and I like that the arm work matters a lot. For one, that's why Scott can only use the Frankensteiner to come back. It doesn't use his arm. Mm -hmm. And for another, it factors into the post-match with them injuring his arm further in revenge. My only real complaint with it is that the ending just comes out of nowhere, which can be good, but it feels like this was just hitting the start of its final act when it suddenly just ends. Yeah, my other note for the match was sudden ending reeks of rematch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, even though there's a pinfall, it doesn't feel like a satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see more of it and see something bigger for the end. No, I agree. So for me, it was a great match. I just wanted it to be longer. I think for me, the problem was that it got to sort of what I expected to a certain extent the Anderson-Steiners match to be, but it took about five minutes of them like going for a hold, stopping, going for a hold, stopping, goes out the ring, mm-hmm. stopping, and I think it works in the story. Like I said, they're trying to get them in traps and everything. But I think they took a little long getting there, just for me personally. I can see that, yeah. 
I think I just was enjoying the character work side of it so much that I was okay with the action being delayed, but I can totally see the opposite view on that. The two parts of the match you you kind of felt were a little bit at odds, mm-hmm. where for me, I was like, no, this is working. It, it's just interesting to me that you and I, you kind of liked the fourth match better than me, or the, the fourth tag match, the fifth match. Mm-hmm. And I liked this match better than you, I think. So we, we've kind of switched. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're probably fairly even on the first watch, but then rewatching, I got more out of the Pillman Zink match. Yeah. And again, to be fair, this is the Andersons and the Steiners. So my expectations were also higher. That's true. Than yeah. a Pillman Zink match. If they'd had a better ending to this, I think this would have been in contention for my match of the night. Okay. But with the ending being below that, took it clearly below the other matches I was considering. Oh, the other thing I was mentioning that was weird with the pacing of the match is that so they eventually do get to working Rick's arm, but then he escapes with the tag and they luck into Scott Steiner injuring his arm, attacking them. So it's kind of weird. They build up, we're going to take his arm out. Oh, he escaped. Oh, oh, this guy's arm instead, I guess. Well, I kind of feel like, again, for me, that felt like them intelligently luring him into attacking them by the ring post. No, no, I get that. I just mean that the match is building up that they're going to take Rick's arm out. Yeah, true. It is also kind of funny to think about it. On the last year's show, apparently Rick had a legitimate injury, which is why they had to work in him being his army taken out, and now it's Scott's. Yeah, it's always the arm. It is, yeah. <laughs> so Ole would wrestle a little bit more, but he tended to segue at this point back in a managerial role. Yeah. I believe he wrestles like the Rain Rick and Bash, but he's not wrestling at Capital Combat, for instance. Speaking of which, the Steiner Brothers will be defending the tag titles at Capital Combat against Doom, who are now maskless. Okay. So, despite that build-up we just got, it's not the Road Warriors and Doom at Capital Combat, as mentioned before, which is a little weird. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, you'd expect from this that it would be the Andersons versus the Steiners again at Capital Combat and Doom versus the Road Warriors, but that's not what happens. Nope. (laughs) I think maybe that comes down to the pay-per-view schedule being different at this point in history mm-hmm. yeah whether it's not a show every month or every other month yeah that's like three months from now right may may is the next show yeah so it's possible and they most likely they wrestle a lot on the tv shows and that's where you get all the blow off this stuff but yeah pay-per-view is not where it goes okay jr tells us that earlier today gordon Soli spoke with lex luger and we cut to a video of that promo it's weird that all the promos so far have been supposedly live, but this one's pre-taped? Yeah, I was wondering that myself, actually. Yeah. Lex has an interesting outfit on as well. I think it's maybe a workout suit, but it looks much more like a race car driver's uniform. Yeah, more like a pit crew guy, yeah. Is he Thurman Sparky Luger? <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> it's nine minutes past four on a Sunday afternoon, February 25th, here in Greensboro. With me is Lex Luger, challenger for the World Heavyweight Championship in just a couple of hours. What are your final thoughts? All the talking's over with Gordon, but I've got a big case of the butterflies, but that means I'm ready. That's good for me. That's very bad for Flair. I am in the top physical condition of my life. That's very good for me. That's very bad for you, Flair. You try to tell me how to do my business. You try to take me out. That just made me all the angry, and that is very, very bad for you, Ric Flair, because Gordon Soule, there's one thing on my mind the last two weeks since I received this opportunity, and that is power slam the rack, power slam the rack, power slam the rack. And Gordon, that is one hole that no one professional wrestling has ever gotten out of. And Flair, you're in that move tonight. We're going to find out. Lex Luger, the total package going 
for the greatest total package in wrestling, the World Heavyweight Championship. And now back to Jim Ross and Terry Funk. I thought this was a capable promo from Lex. I think he did a better job of sounding legit than last year. I appreciate that he managed to sound angry, but coldly angry rather than shouting. It's kind of a nice different tone. Yeah. I, I did find the the power slam the rack part funny because it started sounding like he was planning to power slam a rack as he said it faster and faster. Yes, yes. <laughs> but really, the only complaint I have here is that Luger doesn't really mention Sting. It's just that he's received an opportunity. True. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm not exactly clear on where in their on-again, off-again friendship this falls, but it really seems like Sting should have rated a mention even if they aren't buddies. Otherwise, I thought it was a good build-up to the match. It's definitely a good Luger promo, which that helps the relative compliment because it's not <laughs> the first promo per se. But yeah, no, I thought it was good. It is weird that it doesn't mention Sting. At, the, at this point, yeah, it was a fairly quick turnaround to make him a face. He's defending Sting here, but it's pretty recent. So you can understand that not being a natural thing. From the commentary, it sounded like it was like a really recent turn. Yes. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, he says, I received this opportunity. It feels like he should at least say, you know, and what happened to Sting was bad. Yeah. You know, something like that. To give you an idea of the timetable, the Clash of the Champions 10, Texas Shootout, where Sting is injured, is February 6th. And this show is February 25th, as Gordon Sully noted as if he's in a hostage video. And I said, for the time <laughs> yes. and place for where he's at. That was very odd. So it's pretty recent. What do you think about his promo being pre-taped, though? That's That's bizarre. Yeah, I wonder if it's maybe because he's wearing that outfit and they didn't think you could explain him being out of the outfit and ready to go. Otherwise, I have no idea why he's the only one that's supposedly pre-taped. Maybe he just took that many takes to get the good promo? I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> They're like, don't put Lex on live. <laughs> yeah. It is funny as well that Soli actually throws two Funk and JR at the end of it, despite this being pre-taped. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, I remember we watched that. I was like, that is, that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yes, we go back to JR. And funnily enough, even though we know this is pre taped, JR acts like Soli just threw to him live. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. Kayfabe is real. Yeah. JR and Funk discuss the match the figure four versus Luger's power moves. And Funk again says that he's going to go with Flair. This is an event, not a happening. That has to be a poke at the WWF's Gorilla Monsoon, who repeatedly called at least one of the WWF shows a happening. Oh yeah, that was, that was a catchphrase practically, yeah. Funk says that these are the two best the NWA has at this time, facing off, and this is a chance to see one of the finest wrestling matches you'll ever witness. JR says, to be the man, you've got to beat the man, and throws to Flair and Soli live. <laughs> so Flair is live, but Luger wasn't? Correct. Flair has a feathery pink robe tonight and is accompanied by woman in a very sparkly pink dress. Mm -hmm. well, thank you very much, Jim Ross. And right now I want to turn to the world heavyweight wrestling champion, Ric Flair. Rick, earlier this evening I was talking to a lot of ringsiders and they're predicting you're going to lose tonight. Well, Gordon Soley, <laughs> when your name is Ric Flair, woo! You're standing with the most gorgeous creature on the face of this earth. And you have been the king of this sport for 10 years, six times. Then you fear no man and you pay no attention to anybody else's opinion except your own. Now, woman, why don't you tell the wrestling world and Gordon Soley what you think? 
How about Lex Luger, baby? I think Lex Luger better get his engine started. <laughs> that says it all! Does it? Because the <laughs> one and only woo, world's heavyweight champion is going to walk that aisle. And Luger, gear up, big man, because Ric Flair is coming your way. Thank you very much. All right, now let's go to Gary Capetta in the ring for the introductions of our next match. I love at the end of the promo there when he's talking about being the champion, he very quickly undoes his robe so he can show the title belt. Oh, yeah. Just a, just those little things that he's so good at. Mm-hmm. A short but good flair promo, building up his arrogance even in the face of a challenger but like Luger. In contrast to the norm, Flair seems pretty dismissive of Luger here, not really trying to build him up. But I think it still works well, because it really made me want to see Flair get his comeuppance and have to come to respect Luger. And because of how far he takes it, he even basically outsources the part addressing Luger to woman instead. (laughs) That's true, yeah. And based on her line, I guess it really was a racing suit that Luger was wearing. Yeah, I guess so. I think in the end, I do wish he'd addressed Luger a bit more, just because I like that part of Flair's character. But I see what they were going for with this, and it does work. Yeah. Flair does what he needs to do here, which is show that he's confident. Mm-hmm. He's not worried about anything coming his way. And definitely, it does make him want to see Luger beat him. Yeah. Which is important because, yeah, they're like two out, weeks out from Luger being a heel. Yeah. The respectful Flair might not get them where they need to be for this match. You need to really want to see Luger beat the crap out of this guy because otherwise Luger might not have people behind him enough because he was until recently a heel himself. Correct. So I can see on that angle, maybe that's why they didn't go for Flair's normal, you know, this guy's a great wrestler, but I'm better type of thing. (laughs) Right. They had a similar thing when they had to rush to the Nikita Koloff match with Flair. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had to super speed rush the uh, superpowers thing with Dusty Rhodes and make him a face after being anti-America so long, yeah. Um, I do love, too, that he says, uh, I don't care about anyone else's opinion, then immediately ask women for her opinion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, she's not anyone else. She's special. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was kind of hoping when he was bragging about the fuel creature, I thought he'd make it about himself, not about her. Oh, that'd be hilarious. Yeah. I'm sure there's a promo where somewhere he does that. Probably. But, yeah, there's got to be. I was disappointed to get the natural end of that and not, <laughs> not the, the funnier way of it. Our final match is the total package, Lex Luger, versus the nature boy, Ric Flair, with woman, for Flair's NWA World Heavyweight Championship. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. Sting won the final of the Iron Man tournament at Starcade 89 and actually beat Ric Flair, who was the Colonel champion in that match. Immediately afterwards, the Forestman worried of him as a challenger, immediately rushed to have him join the group. Sting was happy to be part of the group, but he didn't renege on the title match that he apparently won by pinning Flair. Mm-hmm. Which makes me question more about the Road Warriors thing, because the Road Warriors won that tournament, although they didn't beat the Steiners in it, and then that just went nowhere. Yeah, so I guess it's maybe just that it's because he pinned Flair. It's not because he won the tournament, I guess. Yeah, that, that made more sense. It's just funny that two, the, from the same event, though, yeah. Yeah. When he wanted to actually use his guaranteed world title match that he had won, the group kicked him out. Of. That happens early on the Clash show, which leads to them taking him out of a six-man match where he's part of the Horsemen. The Horsemen are having their match with the uh, JTEX Corporation in the cage, which is a funny name, admittedly. Yes. So Sting does a bit where he tries to speed climb the cage to get in there, 
and you know people got to rush to stop him. There's some dispute over exact timing of this, but the story is usually told is that they have to sort of pull him off the cage, and it's speculated that his landing there blows his knee out. Mm. Like it's just sort of off balance, and you know, all the weights on the one leg, not the other. Ah, uh. it's not 100% clear if that's what it is. It could be. I've heard some people say it while he's trying to climb, it happens, but either way, he, it's a pretty bad injury. Yeah. And it gets three weeks out from the show. That's really bad timing for them. Yeah. So they quickly rush the story now that Lux Luger is Sting's friend, which he had been in the past. And now he's getting the world title shot, I guess because he's US champion and he's a top ranked guy. He's next in line. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. They frequently will say, at least, that that puts you in line for the title. Yeah, depending, uh, depending what show you're watching. Being the U.S. champion makes you number one contender, or it doesn't. Yes. <laughs> it either really matters or it means nothing. <laughs> now, the downside is that because of all the shifting they had to do, Lex Luger is not having his originally planned match, which was the U.S. title defense against Dr. Dusty Williams. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Not that I regret having this match, but man, that sounds fun. Yeah, having that match and having Sting Flair would have been great. Yeah. Can you imagine the Luger selling in that one? I know, right? <laughs> That's probably why I think some of the matches like the U.S. Tag Team match are so much longer. Mm-hmm. This is probably a 15-20 minute match in there. Right, we're missing a match. That is now yeah. cut. Yeah. And that time's divided up and maybe not evenly. Okay. We go back to the ring where Gary Capetta announces that tragedy befell the NWA on February 6th when Sting was injured by the Four Horsemen. He brings out Sting. He is Sting this time. Mm-hmm. who is sans face paint, but plus crutches and a very large leg brace. Sting goes up the steps, which did not look fun for him. No. And soaks in the cheers and gives a Stinger call. Sting will be a special observer for the match. Luger is out first. He is currently U.S. champion, but that belt is not on the line here. Sting is shown going up the ramp. Once Sting's gone, Flair makes his entrance, cool fog and lighting. During it, he and woman are silhouetted at the top of the ramp, and I thought that looked really cool. Oh, yeah, it did. JR lists off Flair's accomplishments and tells us that it's Flair's birthday, but oddly reasons that that means that it's Luger's day to win. What? <laughs> yeah, you often give people gifts on your birthday. That's yes, works. yeah. <laughs> Funk says Flair will win here, but also angrily notes that even though Flair beat him, he's not going to say Flair is better than him. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I love that Funk does not forget the storyline that happened between them. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually get to hear Nick Patrick giving the pre-match instructions to the wrestlers. Yeah. I can't recall another time that we got to hear those, do you? No, I can't think of any. The crowd does their best to drown it out with loud Luger chants. Flair tells Luger that he better be at his very best, and Luger says he better shut his mouth and worry about himself. We got a nice, intense intro there, and it made this seem really special, getting to zoom in and hear the pre-match discussion that added to the atmosphere. Yeah, I think this is a point where WCW is trying to push this like real sport aspect again. Yeah. As opposed to WWF getting more spectacle Yeah, and you know, about happenings and not events and all that stuff. I, I really like that when WCW does that. That's, I think, some of my favorite things that they do is anytime they can be closer to an actual sport in their presentation, mm-hmm. I think it really works well for them. And they, they tend to do a good job at that. Luger overwhelms Flair with his power for much of the opening, and Flair decides to flee up the ramp. Luger just marches out and picks him up and sprints back to the ring, carrying him. <laughs> 
Flair tries a cheap shot with the ropes, but Luger no-sells and flexes, and Flair freaks out. Stalling military press by Luger, and Funk's changed his pick to Luger now. (laughs) (laughs) Flair hits a cheap shot, but Luger gets another military press, but can't pin as Flair's under the ropes. Luger no-sells a Flair chop, and Flair gets the best expression of resignation. (laughs) Just, oh, crap. (laughs) Norman Krasner-esque. Luger military press and an elevated bear hug, which is fine because it takes effort. True. Luger lowers Flair into a couple two counts, but Flair jabs his eye. Luger recovers and hits punches that he sells louder than Flair. (laughs) That's Luger for you. Yep. The crowd is screaming for Luger. Wow. Whatever they did to build Luger up in this, it worked. Yeah. Flair dodges a Luger clothesline and Luger spills out to the floor. Flair uses chops, punches, and the barricades, and knee drops back in the ring for two. But Luger catapults him off, still strong. Flair works the arm, including hammerlocks with his feet on the ropes, and Woman finds a chance to choke Luger. Flair gets in some two counts with his feet on the ropes until Patrick notices. <laughs> Luger finally gets his hand on Flair's throat and hurls him to the rope so hard he spills over. Monster cheers as Luger no sells chops and chases Flair around and gets a sleeper hold. Sorry, sleep hold. Yes. Back in the ring, but Flair gets a foot up on the rope to force the break and counters a second with a back suplex. Luger counters an attempted suplex outside, smashes Flair's knee into the ring post, and utterly botches the figure four leg lock. Yeah, he does. Does not wrap the legs at all right. No. <laughs> Flair quickly escapes, and I'm pretty sure he just recognized the spot was going wrong and quickly moved the match forward. (laughs) Luger gets close two counts off a power slam and a backslide. A Flair atomic drop hurts Luger's leg. Flair gets two counts off top rope diving punches, surprisingly enough, and a double underhook suplex, tries his own sleeper, and gets a roll-up for two. But Luger clotheslines him for two and a half. Flair attacks Luger's leg with shim breakers, kicks, rope drops, and a knee drop, and gets the figure four leg lock. Flair uses the ropes to get a few two counts, but Sting comes back to ringside, cheering Luger on. Flair slaps Luger, but that enrages him, and Luger turns the hold over, but Flair goes with the roll and uses the ropes for pressure until Patrick forces a break. Sting tells an exhausted Luger to kick Flair's (laughs) you-know-what and slaps him to wake him up. Flair chops Luger, but he looks to Sting and recovers. Karma catches up with Flair on the top rope, and Luger suplexes him from the apron for two and nine-tenths. Power slam, and Flair slumps near the ropes, but Woman slaps Luger. Luger grabs her hand, but Flair knees him from behind, and Luger falls into Patrick, knocking him out. (laughs) Luger lands punches in front of the Sting's revenge sign, still out there since the Steiners match, in a great shot and casually clotheslines Flair out of the air on a top rope dive, but Patrick is still out. Luger superplex, but still no ref. Arn and Ole Anderson run in, but Luger disposes of them and puts the torture rack on Flair. Patrick wakes up, but the Andersons attack the injured Sting with his own crutch, and Luger breaks the hold to save Sting. Patrick counts to ten while Luger fights outside, giving Flair the win by countout. I'm not really sure why Luger didn't just win by DQ for the blatant interference there. Right? I was winning that myself, actually. Luger tries to run back in, at first unaware that he's lost. But Oli and Arn follow him in, and Arn DDTs him. Sting goes for Oli with his crutch, and the Steiners charge down to chase the horsemen off. Funk plays up Luger's compassion for Sting. He gave up his chance at the world title to save a fellow wrestler. Thoughts on this one? 
it was a strong and long match with my mm-hmm. my central summary of it. The thing to bear in mind is so the last show we had Brick Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Yes. Not the one that's generally called the greatest match of all time, although Flair apparently called it that, which is yeah. notable. And obviously, we previously had Starcade 88 with Luger and Flair. I like both of the matches. I that was a match at night, and I think that made my ultimate Starcade, if I remember we served. Uh, I believe it made most of our ultimate Starcade. Yeah, okay, yeah. So there's a lot of competition here for him. I thought they did a pretty good job with the time. Flair did a good job of really selling the idea that he can't take Luger out until he mm-hmm. finally can. He really looks befuddled at all his attempts failing and Luger just no-selling stuff. It looked good without devaluing Flair, which is a tricky thing to do. Yes. You can no-sell someone and make them look like crap, obviously. It's right. pretty easy. But it's just Flair is so ingrained in people's minds that if you start no-selling them, that means you're really strong, not that he's weak. Yeah, and I like that this is something Flair does a lot, but that he uses the chops to kind of gauge how far he's worn down the other wrestler. Mm, that's true. Early in the match, Luger will just no-sell them, but then later in the match, they'll affect him more and more. It's true, yeah. Well, the more you work the chest, you know, it goes from the normal to the red to the gray, <laughs> yes. purple, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While this was kind of long, I think technically the demo match was probably longer, or the exact time in front of me. I think me. this is actually a tiny bit longer than that match. Oh, okay. Not by much. Yeah, and they're, they're close if it, in any mm-hmm. case. I mean, obviously, it's not quite as good as that, because as good as, obviously, Luger got the fan reaction as a face, so I'm not saying he can't be a good face, because obviously he can, but he's just not the natural face as Steamboat is, I think. Yes. And the technical skill, as noted by the figure four attempt, unfortunately, yes. going wrong. The Miz level figure four. I thought everyone overall looked good here, so that's good. The finish is a weird, weird one for me. There's just so many moving parts to the finish, I think. You have to have the ref bump, and you have the hold, and then Sting come out, and then threaten Sting and him out there. Yeah. I think it worked. They were not going to have the tile switch here. It seems like they're sticking to the idea that Sting has to be player for this title. That's what we're building up to. Mm-hmm. We'll obviously see you cover Capital Combat, but that feels like that's where they're going. So I know they're not going to put on Luger, especially because he's already U.S. champion. Mm-hmm. But that in mind, it's still a complicated way to get there. Yeah, I can see that. I don't think it's a terrible finish. I don't I don't think it's one of the ones where a screwy finish like with say the Road Warriors versus Sting and Dusty one where it just kind of abruptly ends because he attacks somebody. It's not one of those kind of screwy finishes. Right. It doesn't work completely for me, but it isn't detract from the match, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, for me this was a great match. Luger and Flair do an absolutely tremendous job here with a high-energy, very aggressive contest that felt heated from the start and never really cooled off at all. True. Luger has an incredible crowd connection here. They go absolutely wild for everything he does, Mm -hmm. and Flair is at his wily best. Sting's involvement toward the end brought this up further, and it was cool for me to see him cheering Luger on. There's a lot of little elements to the performance there that built up the personalities and story, too. Like Luger looking towards Sting after each chop late in the match to kind of draw power from his encouragement. No, yeah, I see that. Aside from the countout not really making sense as opposed to a DQ, I didn't much mind the ending. It gave us some major character development for Luger being willing to sacrifice his win to save Sting. So I don't think it hurts the match. It's a loss that makes Luger look even more heroic and the horseman even more villainous. So really great match and really great characters and really great story. 
That's two great Luger versus Flair main events that we've gotten, this and Starcade 88. And Mm -hmm. one thing that's really neat is they felt totally different to me. Yeah, I see that. I thought they did a terrific job with this, especially considering they had, what what is it, like two weeks to get this together? It's just about two, three weeks, yeah. That's, That's very impressive what they put together here. So the following month, coming off of this, because of the way he lost, Luger was given another title shot at Capital Combat, which would be a steel cage. Meanwhile, the match that we were supposed to get tonight, we would finally get a Great American Bash with Sting. Okay. So we have to wait a while, obviously ignoring the fact that this show happened, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, but true. If you pretend like this is currently happening, you have to wait a while, but you get there. Yeah. JR wraps up the show, calling Funk Tuxedo Terry. <laughs> Funk says that was an exciting match, and JR says that they saw another side of Luger giving up the title to save Sting. Funk tries to talk more about it, but the show fades to credits as JR hurriedly says, So long, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we get credits with pictures from the night on one side and the credits scrolling over them on exactly the same side, <laughs> leaving space almost perfectly sized for the picture on the other side of the screen totally unused. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so weird. Because WCW. Yeah, they had perfect space to show both things, but deliberately decided to obscure the pictures with the credits. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, WrestleWar 90 is done. Thoughts on the show? I thought it's a pretty strong show, especially considering how much was changed last minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no Muda, so he's missing from a match. We have no Sting because of his injury, and then we have no... Luger solo match because look at the thing's injury and a couple other things throughout the show. So you would think with this many things going wrong and mostly out of their control, people leaving because of pay or injuries they can't control, that it would really hurt the show. I think it does in the sense that once you know all this, you can picture all the stuff that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Like as good as Luger Flair was, you know, get Sting Flair. Yeah. And it's disappointing in some level. And obviously not getting a Dr. Dusty Williams Luger match would have been still disappointing. With that in mind, they, they recover pretty well. Obviously, the one point I'm sure you're going to have an issue with is that this is a very tag match heavy show for some reason. Just a bit. Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> I almost wish they had, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't make any sense, but if you could have not done the mask skyscraper thing, at least not have the rest of the match, and you turned the tag match of the World Warriors into a singles match, maybe? Yeah. Pick, like, I don't know, Animal against Mean Mark or Hawk against Mean Mark. Yeah, I could see that. And then the ringside. I know you want the draw of the Road Warriors and to their match and all that, but I think that might have worked a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only match that's not good is probably the Norman Cactus Jack match, and that's not terrible. Yeah. There are some shows where the bad match is really bad. That one's just sort of disappointing, and you get the at least get the draw of early Cactus Jack bumping his yes. off for this guy. So there's there's some value to it. It's not good, but it's not very long either. So There's that point as well, yeah. So yeah, the worst stuff in the show is not terrible, and the best stuff is pretty high. The way we watch the show, we're going year to year with these shows, so we have to follow a show that had Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, so those are pretty big shoes to fill. I thought they did a pretty good job overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, considering how much you've mentioned that was going wrong leading into this show, yes. it's amazing. I always felt like this was a really fun show, mm-hmm. but with you telling me that, I'm like, this is terrific. They've done perhaps the best job that I've ever seen them do of coming back from near disaster. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. 
We got a collection of good matches, some terrific character work, particularly in the Luger versus Flair and Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express matches, and some great unusual spots with cool move variants, a referee manager fight, yeah. and a great use of a camera as an alternative weapon. The show features some really heated contests with a good mix of comedy, too. Not every match is strong, but all are at least acceptable, and four of the seven are really good. I would have liked if they switched out a couple tag matches for something else or gave them something to differentiate their concepts more, but even if there were too many of those for my taste, most of them were great fun, and they mostly overcame the sameness just on the strength of their performances. Mix in a hot crowd for many of the matches, and you've got a show that maintains a strong energy the whole way through. The promos were mostly fun tonight, and Luger and Flair in particular got across a ton of character that they carried forward into their match very well. It's a strong night for big rivalries and the intertwining of character and match. Many matches really effectively merge the characters and the match stories on this show, so it just feels more lively than on some others. Hmm. It's cohesive. Everything works together as part of the whole. The announced team was great fun, too. Terry Funk was clearly out there having a fun time watching the show and saying whatever was on his mind, but he mixed it with some very insightful comments on the match tactics and move executions that elevated the matches. Felt kind of like a dusty commentary job, just fun to listen to. I think the one negative for me on commentary was there's a weird mean streak with JR towards Jim Cornette and some weird jokes about him. Yes, that was strange. Other than that, it's good commentary, I thought, at the show, yeah. Yeah, other than that, JR did a great job keeping the show on track, and he interacted very well with Funk, with the two having some excellent discussions about the finer points of the matches and stories. Mm-hmm. They seem to really be having a good time together, and that definitely helps the show's atmosphere. It's like the uh, Tony and Dusty and Heenan team that you'll get on the later WCW. They're just clearly having a good time, and that helps you have a good time. Mm-hmm. Production was actually a little above average for WCW, which is kind of a backhanded compliment, but it's a compliment nonetheless. Yeah, still counts. We get a strange stage logo and some audio mishaps and a few camera shots with the wrong angle or zoom crop up, but most are minor and momentary problems on this one, and there were very few times where I felt like any of that distracted from what was going on. There's some really good shots, too, whether planned out or just lucky. Production still isn't consistent, Mm -hmm. but I think it comes down as good on this show. I'd agree with that, yeah. Overall, Wrestle War 90 is an easy watch and a lot of fun. I got a new appreciation for some performers like Buzz Sawyer, and there are some famous matchups and even honestly kind of a dream matchup for me in the form of the Steiners versus the Andersons, though, as I said in the match, I could have done with a lot more of that one. Mm -hmm. Not everything goes as well as it could, but the show still comes together great and the highs very much outweigh the lows. Good show, and an easy recommendation. Let's go on to our match of the night and MVP. So, Al, what's your match of the night? There was some competition, not as much as I was thinking, maybe. But I think, ultimately, for me, the most fun I had with the match was the Rock and Roll Express Minute Express match. Oh, okay. As good as the story they made of Flair and Luger last minute... And as honestly surprising as the Pillman Zinc match with the Freebirds was. Mm-hmm. Especially since I really don't love the Freebirds that much, and I have no real connection with Pillman Zinc as a regular tag team, so that surprised me. Yeah. If you're picking a Dark Horse match tonight, that would be it for me, anyways. Cool. Yeah, um, for me, I was choosing between the Midnight, I guess the Expresses match, yeah. and Flair versus Luger. Sure. And for me, I came down very slightly on the side of Flair versus Luger. Okay. 
Flair and Luger were both great. The match had terrific crowd interaction and reactions, and the story did a great job of involving Sting and his injury. I appreciated that it felt different from the other Flair and Luger matches that we've seen, and it had exceptional intensity and good character work by Flair, Luger, Sting, and Woman Mm -hmm. to make it an epic main event, so very nicely done there. I like that you picked the express match though i feel like both of those need to be honored oh for sure yeah. and i was i was hoping that you would actually pick that one yeah so that we'd get to say both of them absolutely so mvp for you al so it was tricky i was thinking how i was going to do it with the expresses i thought if i could cheat and just pick the um, rock and roll express as one but i just <laughs> try and be fair mm-hmm. i also started leaning towards cornette but it ultimately came down to as much fun as cornette was I believe he was really good in the show yes with his promos and everything I felt if I picked him, it would be taking away from the people in the match. Okay. So I had to go with the MVP for creative moves, really strong selling. That'd be Ricky Morton. All right. Yeah, Morton Morton does a terrific job in that match. And that yes. that walk up Eaton's body mm-hmm. is incredible. Yes. <laughs> that sure. was that was cool. Uh for me, I had this between Luger and Flair. Sure. And I was leaning towards Luger, but I think I'm going to go with Flair. On on my rewatch, I started noticing some more little things. It was a really hard choice between them, because they're both in top form tonight and really interact well with the crowd. But Flair's just perfect in that match. Mm-hmm. He brings out the complexities of his character and works his absolute hardest to make Luger look like a million bucks. For sure. A guy he can't ever get down fully and who legitimately terrifies him. Yeah, it's true. I think the moment that clinched it, looking back, was that look that Flair gives after he chops Luger and it does nothing. Mm. That, oh, crap, I know what's coming now kind of look. Yeah. Flair's reactions to Luger are just brilliant through the match, and they made the story come alive. I do want to give an honorable mention, though, to Sting for coming out well injured to help give the match an extra boost, too. Mm-hmm. He did not look yeah. like he was having the good time that we're used to seeing Sting having out there, but he did his part and did it well. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And that wraps up our review of WrestleWar 90. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Links will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details. And share your own thoughts about the Wrestle Wars as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Join us next time for WrestleWar 91, War Games. We want you. It's our first look at one of WCW's most famous match designs and one of my personal favorite match types. Will this instance live up to the legend? We'll find out next time. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgen, signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. But as they turn to take off their coats, Pillman and Z-Men... Now I'm saying his name the same way. Good gosh. (laughs) Tag to Pillman. (sighs) This is going to happen all match.